welcome to the nightclub. Well, we are the ones who have to obey Capitan. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that was really like Christopher Walken, but... That's the best I could do. Good job. I liked it. I'm Travis Maxwell Boone, and I'm here with, uh, for the first time in a while, the fucking coven, my wife... Mashed Potato Johnson. <laughs> and this uh, top-tier motherfucker right here. Your boy, oh, am I supposed to say something? Your boy, Kaboy. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Your boy, Kaboy. True cult, boy, Kaboy. I've you been could, thinking about changing my name to False Cult or Uncult. I don't like that. Instead of True Cult. I don't like it. Keep it the way it is. You can find Ricky on Instagram at uh, True Cult Boy Kaboy. Enjoy finding out how to spell it. Um, and you can find Mashed Potato Johnson at uh, O Snap. O Snap it's RJ. RJ. Or wait, it we'll does have it's... a J in it. Orange, uh, orange, yeah. Hey, Orgy. Yeah. Orangey, pargy. And you can find me on Instagram at the Nightclub Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna do these plugs already. No, we we have a a bunch of shit that we're gonna get into tonight. This is the first episode back in uh, about two months. We were away during all of this crazy COVID stuff, and not because of it, it's just been hectic to get anything out, but we're going to do some shout-outs. We've got some shout-outs lined up. Uh, me and me and Ricky are going to talk some metal, and I have a fun little segment before the Midnight Ritual called, well, I don't know if it's going to become a thing, but it's either going to be called What If, or Would You Rather, or something like that. I haven't really figured that out yet. You should call it... Which do you fancy? <laughs> <laughs> well, that'll be the fucking name then. And 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 spell witch like a witch witch. Oh instead yeah. Of like, I'm gonna spell it like the Vavitch. Nice. Two two big V's. <laughs> yeah. Vitch. Which do you fancy? Yeah. I like this. So it's, it's like a German dude. <laughs> Which do you fancy? Yeah. What really rustles your jimmies? All right, let's uh. Let's get into the shout-outs. I want to shout-out first and foremost. There's a podcast that, much like ours, has been absent for a while, uh, and they just released a new episode. There's been a podcast that's been... There's been a podcast that's been... Fuck, man. I was rolling with it. Man. You were rolling fuck now, now you're all fucked up. Come on, man. There's a you po- can do it. I'm <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> There's a podcast that's been absent almost as long as ours has. and <laughs> I'm sorry. All right, I quit. I quit for real. <laughs> oh, God, I can't get this out. The Joe Blow Horror Show. They're releasing new episodes. They... <laughs> Boss Tuna um, Check out the new episode it, it should be available everywhere Podcasts are available uh, <laughs> Can get my shit together Also I gotta mention this amazing new app The Slasher app It's just Slasher Go to your Google Play or your Apple Store Wherever the fuck you get your, your apps at Type in Slasher There are thousands and thousands Of horror fans on this app the nightclub joined uh, not too long ago, and we've got over over a thousand friends already. Um, it's it is a social media platform exclusively for horror fans. So nice. the only people that know about it 
and want to be on it are horror fans. And this is a horror-centric podcast, so I'm there pushing out the fucking, you know, slasher-exclusive memes sometimes. It depends on what's going on, because I'm not just going to post my uh, herbal enchantments anywhere, if you know what I mean, and I think you do. And uh, lastly, but not least, I want to give a special shout-out to Poltergeist OD, a horrorcore rapper from Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. His flow is fiendish, and his lyrics are sharper than Jason's machete. The references will have every horror nerd wanting to hear the next track. I've got some links in the show notes, but here's how you can discover the madcap music of a Mr. Corey Clark. You can find him on Facebook or YouTube by simply searching Poltergeist OD or on Instagram and Slasher, the app I just mentioned, using at Poltergeist underscore OD. He even gave me permission to play a song, so uh, I'm going to go ahead and pimp this motherfucker out the proper way. Here's a track by Poltergeist OD. Enjoy.
For anyone who doesn't know, that is a Tim Burton film, or it's based on a Tim Burton film called Mars Attacks, starring Jack Nicholson and Jack Nicholson in two separate roles as he plays. (laughs) (laughs) uh, Fucking Michael J. Fox is in it. Jack Black is in it. It stars in a whole slew of people. Bing Rames is in it. I mean, the, yeah, he's got the Pharaoh thing going. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been so long. I remember nothing about the movie. It. it I mean, it, I was literally like, "Fuck, dude! I don't know." Was was. It's when what, did it? When did it come out? Uh, the late nineties, I want to say. It's it's worth a revisit. I need to rewatch it. Yeah, it's I, awesome. I feel like I haven't seen it since like middle school. I think Martin Short's in it too. I, well, I could be wrong about that. Uh, but Poltergeist OD, this dude is fucking ill. Yeah, dope. Yeah. Dope as fuck. No, for real. Fucking check this guy's music yes. out. If you like that, uh, plenty of other amazing fucking songs. So, uh, right. The only, I'm sorry to interrupt. Mm-hmm. The only scene that really stands out in my head mm-hmm. is the. the that we come in peace, we come in peace, we come in peace. And they're like, oh, yeah. Well, they, they, they show up there and their little translators like, we come in peace. And they release the dove. They shoot the dove. They start shooting everybody. Yeah. Every every time the humans like give them a chance, that's, that's part of the fucked up shit in that movie. Every time the humans are like, okay, well, we'll trust you again. The Martians are like, yeah, yeah, like, <laughs> trust us. But then they just... They just start shooting everyone to death. And the, the cool part is their lasers, they just leave behind the skeleton. That's awesome. Yeah. It's like in fucking Sp- Sam Raimi's Spider-Man, dude. The Green Goblin throws his little pumpkin bombs. Really? Uh, when, and it does that? When, when, when he... When he uh, when Norman Osborn gets kicked out of his own his own corporation, they're having this big parade with all these floats and shit, and all the uh, the board of Oscorp is there on this balcony. Yeah, he comes flying in on that fucking glider like, <laughs> and he throws his his fucking little bombs. They they like light up, and it's just all that's left behind from the guys are their skeletons. That's awesome. Sam Raimi did that shit. He's he's so perfect for the role too. Oh. uh... Uh, yeah, you know, I just can't... Fucking, he was recently in the lighthouse with Robert Pattinson, Willem Dafoe. Yeah, he's so perfect for it. He's perfect for every role he's in, really. Dude, have you ever (laughs) seen Antichrist? No. We're gonna have to cover that movie one day. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, God. That sounds awesome. I haven't seen it since the first time I've seen it. And it's probably... It's due for a rewatch, especially if it's for uh, for the show. And speaking of for the show... We've got another edition of we've we finally come to the conclusion of the the, the title of this segment. Mm, that's right. What was it? It was at first it was Ricky's Metal Minute, but yeah. on, but on the on the, the last episode we did that it turned into a forty five minute thing. A dissertation, a death metal dissertation, and that was and the, then I, that lasted for five seconds because I was like, "That's dumb." That's a no no. So because it's more than just death metal, right? So we're gonna call it. Ricky's Rippin' Riffs. I'm glad you said it. I didn't want to say it. I wanted you to say it. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna figure out like a cool little intro to uh, <laughs> to have for the segment. So, and here it is. got some uh, people to shout out 
you've got some people to shout out in this yeah this little thing. I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and start off. I got uh, if you follow us on social media, then you've probably seen me post the pictures of these cassettes I bought. I got them off Bandcamp. Both records happen to be the debut releases from each of these artists. So I'm gonna go ahead and start off with a uh, Dungeon Synth band called Mimico, and the cassette I bought their EP is called It's Dead. Mm-hmm. I wrote. I'm, I'm I'm cheating a little bit here. These are the reviews I left on Bandcamp, so because uh, I, I probably wouldn't be able to say it as well again. Um, and I think the titular Rippin is going to come up in my mm-hmm. in, in my reviews. So, <laughs> but but uh, for the first one, Mimico's It's Dead. This EP is like a glimpse into a haunted world. Although I can't help but pick up a celestial vibe in these pieces of music. It's like dungeon synth on the dark side of the moon. I picture a crew of astronauts uncovering Eon's old cosmic ruins and exploring them only to fall prey to some ancient Lovecraftian nightmare. The artwork and album title are perfect aesthetically for the space horror atmosphere evoked. I highly recommend it. That's how I end like everything I do on fucking Bandcamp. I'm like, highly recommend it, because <laughs> most people are like, what, you know give a rating or some shit like that. Right. They also ask for favorite favorite track. I put the entire EP. That's that's how I feel about that. That's awesome. I'll have to check it out. That's my one shout out. You got one you want to throw out? I thought you had two. Yeah, I do. I've got two. Oh. I figure we could go tit for oh, tat. Oh, tit for tat. Okay. Yeah, titty tat. All right. So I guess I try to, try to be topical sometimes. Um, so I figured since we're talking about a Spanish film... I would go with uh, some Spanish bands. Oh, fucking A. So, I've got Teton Blood. I actually discovered them relatively recently. They started in 2003. They're from Madrid. They are blackened death metal, weaponized, and in the worst way possible. Which also means in the best way possible for me. <laughs> so, um, Weaponized? Oh, yeah. They're, they're, they're just deadly. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah, yeah they're just deadly. They, new, uh, new term for me. So, their sound is basically... It's very atmospheric. It's very dirty. It's very gritty. <clears throat> the vocals are really nasty. Everything's really nasty, and it's full of anger. <laughs> fucking yeah. Yeah. Dirty, nasty Madrid fucking Teton blood. Yeah, they're kind of... They're kind of war metalish too, so they've got some parallels to, like, uh... Blasphemy and revenge and some shit like that too. If that's your cup of tea, then check them out. I, I've been digging them. The Baleful Choir is dope as fuck. Can you find them on Bandcamp? Yes, you can. Um, I love I love pimping Bandcamp, dude. That's how yeah. I find a lot of the music that in in these genres that I like. Bandcamp has the majority of their music. The other cassette tape that I bought from uh, I, I want to pimp these motherfuckers too. I should have put them in the shout-outs, but I guess I'll mention them now because I bought both these cassettes from the same distributor. Uh, you can find them on Bandcamp as well. Realm and Ritual. They are awesome. They put out quality shit, and they always have these awesome limited runs of cassette tapes or, or vinyls or what, whatever the band's putting out. Limited shit, so you have to get on, on your game. You have, to be, uh, you have to follow them on Bandcamp and know when they're going to put shit out. It's kind of the same way with uh, Teat and Blood. Right, they'll announce a fucking record, and if you right. don't pre-order or be be the first to buy it the day it comes Let out, out, 
It's it's going. Both the both the cassettes I bought are both of them are under fifty copies, right? And they're numbered. I'm one of the only people that has this first run of, of shit. And you know, in the grand scheme of things, what does that matter? Fucking nothing. But for right now, to me, it's cool as shit, man. Right. Like I enjoy this. So this is fun for me. So the second cassette, another debut. This is an Italian band uh, called Viralia. And the album, this is an LP, is called Helios Manifesto. And this is uh, what I write on Bandcamp. Helios Manifesto is an energetic, crusty black metal record with the right amount of experimentation woven throughout. The song structures are very unique and surprising, with the entire album flowing from one song to the next, creating a purposeful journey thanks to the music and its intent. The guitars are ripping. The bass both grooves and pummels, and the drums are always driving and punishing. Bottom line, this record is awesome. Favorite track? The entire album. Again, start to finish. It takes you on a journey, man. And what I mean by the experimentation is 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 like seasoned throughout. You'll hear transitions. You'll hear one song going to another. You, it, it seems to be a common thing. Yeah. Some bands who have a core sound will put the experimental shit sort of on the end. Right. That's what they're doing. They're not breaking the wheel in half and creating a new thing. But right. what, what what they are doing. Super wheel. <laughs> <laughs> but what they are doing is fucking awesome. Like I really enjoy. I've, I've listened to that record four or five times, and I really like it. Also, the lyrics, if you want to dive deeper into it, uh, the album is about some pretty deep shit. It's very philosophical, and the uh, the songwriter is not holding back. Mm-hmm. Not holding back on the emotions, and also the bigger picture type viewpoint when you're writing lyrics. Gotcha. But uh, yeah, that's my second, my second shout out. That, uh, you're talking about the experimental soundscapes, not to keep going back to Teat and Blood, but... There's a lot of that in their music as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just putting that out there. Um, if you want some experimental shit, fucking Teton Blood. And and their name's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I mean, dude, their logo is, is sick, too. Yeah, what was the name of that band again? Ferelia. 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 Like Feral. Okay, cool. Ferelia. Yeah, I'm definitely going to check that out. I like I like the, the crusty black metal stuff. Mm-hmm. Me too. It, it, it has sort of a violent sound to it, I find. Violent and then atmospheric. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's what draws me to, to black metal a little bit more than death metal. And and in, in, in certain bands, like you say, certain bands shine. Cult Leader, they're, they're, well, they're more grind. But, yeah. but, but they're shining yeah. in, in what they're doing versus me falling more. The more I listen to music, this type of music, these subgenres of extreme metal... I'm finding that black metal and atmospheric black metal in general mixed with the crust punk whenever because it like you said it has that violent that's the more violent fucking like yeah we're gonna get it out but then it will come with the atmosphere and I'm like dude when you can sweep me away like this but also make me want to fucking rip my soul in half <laughs> yeah like <laughs> this is this is some awesome shit yeah for me it's always something when you when you can give me the breakdown face that's <laughs> That's the this face. <laughs> Next, I have uh, another band from Madrid. Surprise, surprise! They are called Wormed. Wormed. I like I like this band. I Spell don't, it. Oh, Wormed. That's W R W O R M E D. See, I thought it was gonna be 
W-Y. No, no. Uh, wormed, as if you are being dewormed. Damn. Yeah, I just they the opposite of being dewormed. We're just worming you. <laughs> we're just putting worms inside of you. Here I you go, it, you are wormed. You got a fucking parasites now, bitch. Parasite metal. Is that Parasite a thing? Metal. Is that a thing? Not that I'm aware of. Is that like, it's people that fucking just glom off of everyone else. It is a thing, I guess. No, yeah. Everyone's a fucking could, victim could of worm parasite metal. Yeah. I thought they were going to go the more dragon route with it. That's That would be cool. I would probably like that better, honestly. What's their lyrical content about? Uh, it's very sci-fi based. So it's not fantasy. So no. they wouldn't go the dragon route. Right, right. All right, it's more sci-fi. Yeah. So it's more surgical. It's more worm. You're dewormed, but you're wormed. You got worms. Yeah. All right, go ahead with Madrid worms. They're they're about. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> they're, yeah, they're, they're, they tend to stick to more sci-fi, spacey, spooky. Uh, Lovecraftian theme stuff mm. um, and they are technical death metal very I mean I'll just put it to you this, they're opposite end of the spectrum from Teton Blood they're very overproduced hmm. normally this is a huge turn off for me um, but certain bands I find you know shine and uh, in that area and they're one of those bands they're technical death metal Good production value. The drums are pummeling. Like, it, the drums are probably my favorite part. They're very intense. It sounds like you're getting your your soul is getting its ass kicked by a thousand giraffes. <laughs> the a thousand giraffes you won't punch at the zoo? You won't punch at the zoo. Tell that story. Um, Tell that story for the listeners. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not going to name the zoo. Ricky didn't punch a giraffe. I didn't punch a giraffe, but I saw a guy punch... No, yeah, he was... No, what? Tell the whole thing. Okay. (laughs) So... (laughs) So I was at the zoo with some friends and with my girlfriend at the time, and um, they have the little platform you can walk onto, and there's like a fence, and you can like feed the giraffes from your hand with their little food and it's just high enough to where even the babies can get their heads up oh, there and you can feed the giraffes. little the little babies um <laughs> the and little babies. everyone was just loving life feeding these giraffes in the shade and this you know bro and chad wasn't really a thing that you called people back then but kyle this, was what we called them back then right but just this kyle just showed up and and he's got some food like everybody else and he's feeding it out of his hand and he's talking to it yeah yeah like and he rears his hand back as far as he can and he cold cocks it in the side of the head oh man and like its neck its neck like Went way, it swayed way back with the force of the punch, and it screamed and almost fell down and ran away. (laughs) And security people came and were like pulling the guy's shirt, like like pulling him to the ground and shit, and like pulling him out of there. And people were like trying to help him, like they they wanted to kick his ass. Like everyone was mad. Yeah, you know, understandably. You know, everyone was pissed. And so, yeah, that guy, I don't know what became of him, but hopefully I, hopefully he wasn't eaten alive by an angry mob. I think he's dead. But I hope he's dead. 
I know I'm laughing at the story, but it's mostly because of how outrageous it is. Right. If I were there, I would not be laughing at this fucking dude punching no, no, a giraffe. No one was laughing at the time, but on the car ride later, I was like, damn, somebody punched a giraffe. <laughs> yeah, you, you have to fucking laugh at <laughs> like, fuck is this? It's just like, why the fuck would you do this, man? Yeah. What kind of state of mind are you in? But then... Oh, I witnessed some too fucker. much mountain, mount, too much monster energy drink, bro. That's what it'll do to you. Sound like you're gonna say too much Mountain Dew. Too much Mountain Dew, too. I guess. <laughs> I cut you off from from. Uh... No, that's fine. It was a great. It was it was a great story. Uh, don't punch giraffes or any other wildlife at the zoo. <laughs> they have it bad. They have a hard enough time. They're in captivity. Leave them a, alone. This is a PSA for anyone who didn't know. Don't punch the public. Fucking... Public service announcement. Yeah. If you punch the animals at the zoo, you're a dick. <laughs> okay? Even if you're a woman, you're a lady dick. You're a lady. And don't be a lady dick either. <laughs> no, That's not cool. It's not. So. Are we substituting lady dick for cunt? Or are we going to be the progressive podcast that'll say lady dick? We can say lady dick and man cunt. I'm Man. sorry I tapped on the table when I said that. I'm leaving it in. We, well, I can say it again. We can say lady dick and man cunt. I'm still leaving it in. Okay, you there you go. You said it twice now. That's awesome. Lady Just dick. leave them both in. Lady dick and man cunt. You yeah. man cunt. <laughs> <laughs> man cunt's that's so a, much better. That's a great... Than just regular cunt. It really is. Oh, my God. That'd be a great band name. Man cunt. <laughs> It makes me think of the wrestler Mankind, kind of, but like... And he, he shoves his, oh man, oh no, Mr. Sacco into people's fucking mouths, but he's Mankind. This is like... So t- what does he shove his hand into instead of Mr. Sacco? A big douche, I a guess. Big d- <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I was thinking of like a flashlight. <laughs> yeah, well, it could yeah, be. Like a, yeah. He just Shoves pretend. his hand in there and pretends it's a puppet. <laughs> Okay. What oh. the fuck? <laughs> I, if, if, You're welcome for that imagery. If if uh, <laughs> if you couldn't have, like, Apple won't let you put certain titles for your episodes, or they'll ban the episode or whatever. <laughs> if the episode, Sounds like Apple. It is. If if the episode could be titled anything at this moment, it would be titled Mankind. <laughs> I'm just putting it out there for anyone who's yeah. listening this far. If you see the title of the episode, it won't be this, but it would be. In a in a in a fucking in an good, ideal world, yeah, <laughs> it would be mankind. All right, so uh, yeah, back to wormed. Um, like I said, it's very technical. <laughs> Worms in your mankind. <laughs> Dude, Vidal has a mankind on his face. Yeah, he does. Damn, you know who Mercedes gave him a mankind. Mercedes is my favorite character. She's the, the best. She's so great. By the way. I don't know the actor's name, but he's the guy. He was in like Sin City, and he's in a he's in a bunch of stuff, and he has the scars right there on his on his mouth. Mickey Rourke, the Marv? No, 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 no. Marv has he scars was one of those, over his face. He was one of those mercenaries that went to find uh, Dwight. Was his name in the uh, in the movie? He was uh, you know that one heroic character that had that was all dark and broody and stuff. I've only I've only seen I've only <laughs> how you seen, like how you like that joke. Uh, I've I've, <laughs> I've only seen Sin City twice. Really? Yeah, and back when it first came out. Yeah. So I don't really remember a lot about it. I remember um, Elijah Wood was the glasses killer dude. I remember there's a right. yellow guy who stank and Bruce Willis hated him. 
Yeah. And I remember that Marv was a badass. This is the story about the guy... Jude Clive Law. Owens. Clive Owens. I said Jude Law. Excuse me. <laughs> Clive Owens' character. Yeah. Um, he's protecting the, the hooker. Right. And he's, he's trying to. And someone sends a bunch of mercenaries after him. And there's some Irish people. And one of them is the guy I'm talking about. Oh. Well, split me potatoes in half and capture me lucky charms. The actor, actually, that happened to him. He was assaulted oh. by a gang. Oh, he got the fucking... Uh, Chelsea Grin. That's what it's that's called? That's what it's called when why they is split it called, your lip. Why is it called that? Uh, I don't know. They oh, just call gonna, it that. We're going we're gonna to figure this out on a later episode because I call it a rictus grin. Yeah, but, but it's not... That's, tr- another, that's another term for I don't it, know right? if it's truly called that, though. I, okay. I pull that from the Joker lore from the comics. Oh, okay. Where your smile extends right. past where it should. I think I think like the Colombian gangs and stuff. The cartel cartels would call it a uh, Chelsea Grin. Chelsea Grin. It might it might be a British thing too though. I don't know. It sounds more British. I don't know who Chelsea. Right. Sounds yeah, more definitely. I'm gonna give you a Chelsea Grin, eh? He was he was assaulted by a gang and when he didn't have enough money, they they, they beat him up and oh, they did that to him. Fuck. Don't don't owe people money who are violent sociopaths. No. This is another PSA. No, but this guy just this just happened to him random. Well, no, but I'm saying yeah. oh, don't yeah. owe violent sociopaths okay, you're money. Make a point not to. Yes, don't you. do that. Yeah. Don't go into the gambling world where you have to have a fucking alias and you right. call in on a payphone that don't even they don't even exist anymore. And you're like forty two on the Jets on the spread. <laughs> I don't even know what gambling shit yeah, is. I don't, I don't know. know how to say any. Of I that. can't pretend. I can't wing my way through that either. <laughs> Sorry, I'm going off. Anyway. I thought that was interesting. I was like, oh, that guy had a real Chelsea grin. And he was like, fuck it. You know, know, it heals. He was like, (laughs) it looks cool. I'm going to keep it. He kept it. Like a piercing. I'm going to keep it. Right. (laughs) I'm going to try to hurry up and get through Wormed real fast. I think I pretty much covered everything about Wormed. We're just going off. Um, They're still active. They formed in 98. They've got a lot of albums. They released uh, Meta Portal in 2019. Meta so, Portal. So check that out. Fucking A. Are they on Bandcamp too? Yes, they are. Bandcamp for all this shit, motherfuckers. Yeah, the majority of their work is on Bandcamp. So again, technical death metal. It's not usually my bag. These guys are better than most of the bands in the genre, in my opinion. And I dig it. I don't love it to death. But I dig it. Worth a listen. Worth a listen. Especially if technical death metal's your shit. Alright, so my last and final uh, riffin', riffin' riffs yeah. <laughs> contribution is a band called Begotten. Again, following us on social media, you've seen me post about this band. They have three records out, uh, one of which might be an EP based on the time length, but I'm just going to call them all albums. I love all three records. And they all kind of line up poetically. I'm just going to say all three together and then split them up. A waning silhouette and the wind cries death if all you have known is winter. That's how their three albums sound together. So it's A Waning Silhouette, and The Wind Cries Death, 
and the third album is If All You Have Known Is Winter. Nice. They are a black metal band, but they have an energetic, almost positive sound, dude. They jam. They fucking go off and jam, and they have these interludes that are just, like, the guitars just... The, the whole band, but they're just ripping, man. Like like we're saying, Ricky's ripping riffs. Right. They're just fucking ripping. And they're fun. They're getting out the emotions. Like, you, you want to hear some raw shit, but also sounds like it's fucking kicking ass. It's like... I don't know. It's almost like if the Foo Fighters were a death metal, or, a, a, excuse me, a black metal band. I don't know. They just, I get what you're saying. They really hit for me, and I've been listening to their albums on repeat. Nice. <laughs> for, for like two months now. I shouted them out on uh, social media, so go check that out. Go listen to Begotten. All right? I don't know. I don't remember where they're... Oh, Pickering, Ontario. Oh, okay. So they're Canadian, just Canadian, like uh, eh? Altergeist OD. Yeah. Hey. More Canadian. You got the Spanish guys. I got the Canadian guys. Sweet. We're all coming together here. So what's your what's your last uh, shout out <clears throat> for, for the Rippin' Riffs? So I got Dishammer. Um, if we're going genre, then they are sort of a thrashy, old school heavy metal, crusty... Kind of black metalish, D beat, punkish type of thing. Holy I, I know crap. I said a lot of stuff just now, and uh, what it kind of equates to is kind of like a, maybe a mix between like Hellhammer, Motorhead, stuff like that, like um, old school, maybe some Bathory in there, and some uh, GBH and Discharge. Very D beat. Uh, very punk, very metal, very fun. This band is is uh, a beer bonging party animal. Uh, the riffs are ripping. You said beer bongs in parking lots. Yeah, like that's 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 what I think. I think of a bunch of like cartoonish metal punk people in like a parking lot, maybe like burning a pentagram on the ground or something fucking and it. hitting the beer bongs and just head banging <laughs> and just making noise and pissing off all the old folks in the awesome, surrounding neighborhood like a party metal band right that, that's that's the general mood i get from this dishammer dishammer and their guess from where da 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 madrid spain madrid spain Ricky kept it on point with the fucking origin of uh, the the midnight ritual tonight. I'm I'm thinking all the metal in Spain lies in Madrid. So um, <laughs> anyway, they're fun. They're not active anymore. Unfortunately, they broke up in 2011. Hmm. But they were active uh, starting in 2006, I believe. Let me just double check that. Yeah, so they were active. From 2006 to 2011, unfortunately, they split up for whatever reason. Brief run. Um, yeah. Albums they had are Vintage Addiction. Uh, like that name. It's, a good, it's, it's good, too. It's a lot of fun. Werewolves on Wheels is a very fun song. That's a tribute to a 70s horror film, yeah. And Grindhouse they, horror film. They have a, a, a tribute to Bathory here, um... Under the sign of the D beat mark. Oh shit! So that's a that's a play on Bathory's second full length, which is under the sign of the black mark. 
So, very fun. Very fun stuff. Paying homage. Paying homage in a very fun way. That's Dishammer. They're good stuff. If you're into that, check them out. Let us know what you think about these uh, recommends, man. That would be awesome. Yeah. We'd love to get y'all's feedback, even if you hate it. Even if you hate it. I think that would be hilarious. I mean, personally, I would love reading it. (laughs) I would love reading some hate mail, personally. I would love reading any mail. We haven't gotten a single fucking email. We've we've got people that comment on things. We've got friends out the ass on every social media outlet. No one's talking about But no one's emailing in. So go ahead, email in. Uh, let us know what you think about these, uh, the Ricky's riffin' riffs. Riffin' riffs. Oh, sorry, what did I say? Riffin' riffs. Oh, shit. It's all good. <laughs> Ricky's riffin' riffs. <laughs> yeah, fucking A. I don't know why I have to do this when I say it, but, you know, <laughs> whatever. So what I have up uh, coming up for us next is a segment that we might make into a semi-regular thing. It's a what if or a would you rather. I don't know what you'd call it, but I pulled these from the internet later in the future. If, if again, respond with some feedback. If you guys like hearing this kind of shit, uh, if people like this, I will. No, oh, fuck if everyone likes it. I mean, if Ricky enjoys it, I'm going to do more segments ba- based on this premise uh, where I create the scenarios and the questions or we all contribute and create these scenarios and questions but it's a what if or would you rather thing all right we'll do the this fun segment now kind of kind of change things up a little bit which do you fancy (laughs) and uh we'll 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 go we'll go kind of clockwise so i'll start with the first one would you rather play with a cursed ouija board or spend a weekend in a haunted cabin in the woods um Damn, this is going to be an edit, but I forgot what my answer actually was for this last night. I remember, well, yeah, uh, I think you wanted the Ouija board. I said the cabin. You did, yeah, that's right. Because I was like, if if there's more than one person with me, I say cabin. (laughs) Either way. But, man, I have reasons for the Ouija board that I can't remember now. Because if you're playing a Ouija board, chances are you're you're at your home. Instead of at a cabin in the woods. That's right. That's what it was. Oh, a fun fact. I've played with a possessed Ouija board in a cabin in the woods. (laughs) That's funny. For real. Yeah, we we, we talked about this on the podcast. There's an entire episode dedicated to this. I know, that shit's funny, Trying to fucking repeat stories on the show. You lucky all this is getting edited out. We don't do that. We don't even repeat jokes ever. Never, ever. Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing must be repeated. Um, I guess I guess I have to leave this in now. Um, Ricky and I had actually recorded a lot of this last night, but uh, Angel was was tired, so she had went to bed before we ever started recording. But she was up, she was ready to do it tonight, so we're, we're doing we're redoing some of this with her. Um, so yeah, all right, that 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 sounds right. I would I would stick with a Ouija board because I'm already home. I assume that if this thing fucking comes out and is trying to possess shit, also. That's the other thing I was saying. It depends on how much you believe in it. I don't really believe in it, so it's not going to get get to me. But if I'm in a cabin in the woods and some evil dead shit's going on, that means somebody fucking opened a book or set a, a spell and now shit is just happening. And you can't... Right. How are you going to get away? That's that's what it was. It's like I'm, I'm looking at it. The, the cabin is like 
it's the evil dead cabin or the cabin in the woods cabin. So something's going to happen to you no matter what the fuck you do. And you're, you're, you're still, you're sticking with cabin in the woods. Yeah. I'd say cabin, um, because, well, you're not more likely to have people with you in a cabin in the woods, but I just like the idea better. (laughs) I just, I just like the idea better. It's more fun that way. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like I'd rather, I'd rather have to chop heads off possessed zombie people than deal with some possessing spirit ghosts that I uh, can't see. So, and you, since you played with the Ouija board, I guess you might as well head your bets and, 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 and stick with what you know, right? I feel like I'd want to do the, the Ouija board shit because I feel like I would have more control. Yeah. That's about as far. That, that, I don't like ghosts. That, that's how I'm going, going with it. Like that, that's I don't like I'm, ghosts either. I don't. I don't want to fucking have to deal with with the 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 what chaos is going to come. come I don't want to deal with someone flickering my candle all night in a haunted cabin in the woods. See, I'm picturing people are possessing us and we're fucking eating each other and shit. So Um, I'd rather deal with that than the the ghost stuff. That's crazy. All right, uh, Ricky, you'll go next on this one. Angel, you'll go last because uh, we treat women fairly on this podcast. You can go last. You don't have to go first just because you have. Fucking ovaries and shit. Fuck you. <laughs> oh, oh, mm. oh, fuck you. <laughs> Would you rather be forced to eat a bowl of raw worms or have live spiders dumped on your naked body? <sighs> All right. So, <laughs> I have arachnophobia and I also don't like worms. They creep me out. They weird me out. There's <laughs> no way I could get around psychologically get around eating a bowl of worms or even a single one. Unless I was already starving to death. I, I just couldn't see myself doing it. So, even though I'm scared of spiders, the question doesn't specify if I have to be face down or up. So, I would say, <laughs> I would say I'd lay on my stomach, they can dump the stupid spiders on me, I'll get up and I'll go run and jump in a pool or something and scream. I'd rather that. I'd rather the stupid spiders. Hey, I, I didn't even hear it because I thought you were going to say, would you rather eat a bowl of Kaboom? I thought that's what you were going to ask, Ricky. <laughs> so what is it? Angel, we don't repeat jokes. You're repeating stories. You're repeating Never. jokes. It was just, I mean, it just fit. I'm you're, sorry. you're breaking all the rules. What? Really? No. She's a maverick. <laughs> no, man, I'm She's fucking with you. I was saying, what? damn. Well, I mean, it was like, it was just laying there. It's like, would you rather eat a bowl of Kaboom? So what is it, a bowl of worms, and what? Would you rather be forced to eat a bowl of worms, raw worms, they're alive, I guess, I don't don't know, again, specifications, I didn't write these questions, mine would be more detailed, or have live spiders dumped on your naked body? Ah, you're gonna let them spiders, I'm I'm good, spiders don't bother me at all, and I ain't eating no fucking worms. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm good. I'm eating the worms. Straight up taking a fistful and just not giving a fuck. That's gross. Yeah, but I'm not having those fucking all them legs touch me. It's not happening. (laughs) I don't want it either. It doesn't bother me. I don't want it. I'd rather just, I'm like, I can eat this. It's going to taste like shit, but fuck it, dude. It's good enough for fish. I'm going to eat the goddamn things and and not have to do Are you bear grill now? I'm going to drink my own piss. I didn't say that, and that's not part of the stipulations here. You go first on this one. Trapped in a house with a murderer, okay? That's that's the situation. You're trapped in a house. There's a murderer in there. And would you rather not be able to hear 
or would you rather not be able to see? You can't either. It, it's either you can't hear anything or you can't see anything. I mean, I would rather see. I see where a knife is coming at me or whatever, whatever's coming my way. I think we'd all universally pick this one. Yeah. 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 Most my luck, I'd be stumbling around, feeling on the wall, and I'd turn a corner, and I would just feel right on the murderer's face, <laughs> and he'd gut punch me with a machete or something. I feel like I would something. be doing this, and they'd just be stabbing my hands, because I'm like, oh, okay, there's a knife there, and I, I feel that now. <laughs> maybe they, but here's the, the, maybe they'd take pity on you. They'd see you just stumbling around, helpless it. and vulnerable, and they're just like, I can't kill this pathetic shit. It's not even, it's not even a game at this point for them. You're easy. You're fish in a bucket. Yeah, that ain't gonna. No, that ain't ever gonna fly. No. No. All right. You suspect that you're being stalked by an evil demon. Hmm. How do you get rid of it? This is a three three parter, multiple choice. Do you go to a witch and perform a ceremony to expel the demons? Do you go to church, talk to a priest, and stock up on holy water? Or do you get on a flight and hope the demon can't find you in Siberia? Who's answering that first? Uh, I think it's your turn. Bro. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna go to the witch. I don't. I don't think that the church is gonna really. You know, I, I would. I would go with the the thing that's closer to the demon because it might actually know how to fucking deal with it. The church. Oh, well, they do have exorcisms, so. Yeah. Hmm. I feel like that's all they would try to do is tie you down to a bed and beat the devil out of you. And I don't want that. I'd rather... I'd, and I sure don't want to go to fucking Siberia. No. So I guess I would just go to the bitch. I'm not sucking Putin's dick to get rid of a demon. <laughs> it's not happening. I'll eat a bowl of worms first, I swear to God. Same. We all go and see the bitch. We all go and see the bitch. Oh, yeah, the bitch! Nice. The bitch is the one we fancy. I, I feel yes. like like demons and stuff are more like negative energies and whatnot anyway. And I'm with a lot of witchcraft that has to do with energy and the way they do things. So I feel like that would be the best route. Yeah, boy. Siberia ain't going to help nothing because it's just going to travel with you. Like now you just vibe. now you just in Siberia. Which sucks on its own. <laughs> Plus the demons there anyway. If you, right. if you think the demon doesn't know how to speak Russian, it's been around. Okay, right. so it will find you. It speaks every language. Yeah, that's what that's what my demon did. Spoke every <laughs> fucking language. Yep. Would you rather be violently hunted in the purge, or wake up to find out that there has been a zombie apocalypse? Um, it's mine. Yeah. Okay, so. I like the idea of killing zombies better than smart targets. However, I would not want to be the only person left. So I will not choose zombie apocalypse. I'll choose purge. Because... There's other people. There's other people around. Mm -hmm. And I'm armed and have ammunition. Yeah. So I could deal with the people that want to kill me. <laughs> yeah, I feel the exact same way. I feel like I'd be severely outnumbered by zombies and very alone... And stressed and anxious. For, but the, I mean, for the most part, we're aligning on a lot of these. Yeah. Human, human beings are social creatures. You know, we need we need that to survive. I think. So, uh, alone by yourself in a in apocalypse of any kind is just not any kind of life. No. I'd rather I'd rather have this purge situation. I can probably outlast it. I know I can defend myself from at least. I mean, fuck it, I might die. Yeah, you could try. But I can try to defend myself. They're I, not going to try to eat you. Well, 
Mm, well, no, know. don't what, say that. Eight people in the purge now. Wasn't we on like the purge number six? I mean, Everything. I, I mean, if I was if I was someone who wanted to eat people, that's when I would do it. But <laughs> exactly. Uh, Every there, that's the point of the purge is there's no law. So if you decide, I'm fucking, I'm trying me a person tonight. I'm, I'm gonna eat a fucking goddamn. I'm a roast. A, I'm a roast a little kid on a spit. Yeah. <laughs> then there you go. Purge, purge night, cannibal night. And what number purge are we on? I don't know. I, I haven't kept up. Um, I don't watch them. I watched the first one. It was okay. <laughs> I hear I hear they get better, actually. Really? Y- y'all heard yeah. about the guy, I think he was actually in Louisiana, that, that went around during COVID-19 um, with his window down blaring the purge sound? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't hear about that. I think it was in Crowley or something. Yeah, yeah some guy was going around. It was, they were blasting the, the purge. Siren all night. Nice. They they got in trouble. All right. That's uh, hilarious. Yeah. Where would you rather go camping? The forest from the Evil Dead mm-hmm. or the woods from the Blair Witch? Oh. I've got logic for this one too. Me too. Yeah. It's me. Uh yeah. Yeah. See you. Which would you rather? Evil Dead Woods. Evil Dead Woods. Okay. We're we're all in agreement here. We're in sync. Yeah. I remember what we talked about last night. So. Why would you pick that over the Blair Witch Woods? Be- because I feel like I could um, fight them off. <laughs> She's already dead. We'd, we'd live if we had our way. You're dead. I don't care. In the evil dead forest, the only reason that anything goes wrong is because they fuck with that goddamn book. Yep. Yeah, but I thought, I mean, I thought that's already happened. Mm, the question doesn't say that. It just I says mean, you're going camping there. Yeah, but that would just be the woods. That wouldn't be the evil dead woods until they let the, all the shit out. Right. Yeah, all that has already happened. Mm. If it wasn't, it would just be the woods. Even so, I'd still rather that. Oh, yeah, me too. Because the Blair Witch Woods seem more supernatural and threatening yeah. in scale. I don't it, like all them organs and bags and shit. I'm not about that. No, stick men hanging from lost. trees. It yeah. makes you get lost in time lapses and just... And in that house in the middle of nowhere. People standing in I'd the I'd rather corner. my cabin just already mm-hmm. be here. <laughs> yeah, I'd, ra- I'd rather a cabin full of deadites. Not like a, I said. Instead of a, ca- a corner that you have to go in and then right. your your camera falls down. Right. Yeah, I mean, and also in the Evil Dead, like, you, you can um, you can shove your demon into the basement. Yeah. You know? And you can get transported back to medieval times, which is pretty metal. Which, yeah. which is, yeah, I mean... Yeah, you can't do that in the woods. <laughs> and if I'm going camping, I'm armed and I have ammo. I can deal with dead ice. Yes. Yeah, we'd all have our boomsticks. That's it. You oh. just have a lot of snot running down your face in, in the blood. <laughs> <laughs> you just got sinus infections. Constantly yeah. apologizing. Hello? <laughs> all right. Um, <laughs> the, would you rather try to open a bag of Doritos in a quiet place? <laughs> or unload the dishwasher in the Jurassic Park kitchen. You said you hadn't seen a quiet place, right? So this one will be between more so between us. I, I remember mine. What what would you? Pick? I remember mine too. Though. I'm gonna unload the dishwasher with with the dinosaurs. Fuck yeah, we're in agreement. Yeah, sorry I, man. I feel like I feel like if even if I died unloading dishwashers with Velociraptors. At least that would be a really cool story for everybody to tell about me. Well, then there there could be like weapons in the dishwasher too for you to fend yeah. off a dinosaur. I hadn't thought of that. There might be knives. There, and shit. I mean, there ain't nothing that can help you if you open in a bag of Doritos in a quiet place, bro. <laughs> There's nothing that can <laughs> help you. 
and you fuck like within like a half second. It's bad. Like, <laughs> they are on your ass. I need to watch it. Yeah, it's good. I is think, it on? Is it on? I think it's on Prime. Yeah. Nice. I need to check it out. All right. Which would you rather endure? Winter season at the Overlook Hotel or summer season at oh, Camp Crystal yeah, Lake? Whose turn? It's his. Winter season at the Overlook Hotel. Oh, no. Oh, no. So you'd rather tangle with Jason? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Fuck that. No. But which Jason? Teleporting Jason or... Oh, that's a good point. (laughs) It it, it doesn't... Again, these questions aren't... Mine would be more detailed if I wrote them. Right. It's the lack of detail that really lets me make my decision because, like we talked about, we don't shine. Right. So there's no reason for any of this stuff to happen to us. We're just at a dope-ass hotel. Mm Mm-hmm. Snowed in for the winter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but no, awesome. I don't think that's the way you're supposed to like oh, I'm pretty, perceive that. Why? We're Mavericks. We're Mavericks, Angel. We do what we. I can navigate these questions <laughs> whichever fucking want. way I want, man. If I can outsmart the question, fuck the question. It's like it's like outsmarting yeah, the, the devil's made. contract. It's like fucking they're Anton. To put you in that scenario. It's the way Anton Chigurh says it, though. What good was the rule if it brought you here? It, it's like it's like outsmarting a devil in a contract. <laughs> that's the way I look at it. Yeah, so you're going with the... I'm going to Camp Crystal Lake. Oh, you're dead again. See, and my other thing is, even if even if it is bad in The Shining, I hate the heat and humidity. Yeah. So if I gotta die, I'd rather die cold. Like Jack Torrance outside that know. maze. I'd rather just, freeze to death like Jack Torrance. Or just... If I was trapped in a house like that with, with um, a possessed husband... I so think... you're immediately Shelley Duvall. Yeah. Why? You're just you. No, no, no. I just like um, with with the ghost. I'd and... beat my husband's ass. <laughs> <laughs> or he'd she, beat yours. I'd she beat she, she fucks him up, man. She knocks his ass down the stairs. I'd be dead. Yeah, I'd kill you. You'd be dead. Yeah, it's that axe. Damn, that's crazy. I'd probably be the one to get possessed, and I would just run out into the yard and freeze. <laughs> that's that's all it would make me do. It's like, I can't use this. All right. Uh, your credit is good here. What does he say? Oh, yeah. Your money is no good here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fucking free alcohol, baby. I just get drunk with the ghosts, man. That's it. That's what's up. We're having a way better time than you. I'm just saying. Like I said, even if I got if I got to die in one, either one of them, I'd rather die cold. Because I live... If it's old school, Jason... You're going to find a bunch of your friends and... and but are uh, you asking me if I'd rather be at Camp Crystal Lake? What if I am Jason? I mean, I, I don't... I don't okay. I, okay, yeah. I, it, it, if it y'all want to be like that, what if I am Jason? What if I want to murder a bunch of stupid teenage pricks? I mean, fuck you. I support... For I, I my support, mama. Yeah. I support, I support that. <laughs> oh, God. I'll, uh, I could see your mom running around. Kill her, mommy. Kill I'll her. De- I'll defend your rights to... I defend your right to want to be Jason at Camp Crystal Lake. Uh, only if I can teleport. If you, well, I was going to say, Jason, if you, yeah. if you're dealing with Jason pre part six, you're going to find all your friends and all the people there, like in elaborate death trap setups. They're going to be fucking in closets. They're going to be hanging from trees. So you're going to be getting terrified the whole time, and then you get, and you get chased in the fucking woods. If it's teleporting, Jason. Supernatural zombie Jason, yeah, dude. I mean, unless you're Tina from Part Seven with the telekinesis. I just want the Jason that never runs; he just walks. That's that's. He part. would eventually catch me because I'd run out. Of, I I can't. I just can't. Well, he would teleport in front of you somewhere. He would just be like hanging. He'd fucking come down from a tree and get you. Yeah. All right. Last one's fun. 
you're a janitor, which mm. room would you rather clean up? Beverly Marsh's blood bathroom from It or Reagan McNeil's vomit, <laughs> vomity bedroom from The Exorcist? Uh, the vomity bedroom. Yeah. 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 I, I know what a pool of blood smells like, and it just smells like straight iron, and it's disgusting. And Ben, but it's the whole bathroom. It's yeah. The, it's floor to You can't even ceiling. really. I, I, I can endure the smell of puke. That's a horse smell to endure. Ugh. Gross. And also, once, once the lady's gone, there's nothing to worry about. You just got some. Like Travis said, just bring some of that sawdust and just <laughs> clean it up, and you're done. Yeah. That's all you got to worry oh, about. The, the janitor ladies, uh, what are that? It smelled like cherries. Yeah, yeah, I remember like straight cherry. Yeah. Oh, you just sprinkle it like comet but on if, top of them. But if you got to go deal with the it bathroom, then that dude might come out of the fucking drain and get you. I don't want that. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I don't want that at all. That scene scared the crap out of me when I was a child. Um, the whole scene would have been different if they went into that bloody bathroom and they just sprinkled Comet <laughs> all over the bathroom. Alright, well, we're unified on a lot of these. Yeah. Besides, so, besides Camp Crystal Lake. Yeah, well, there's, there, you know, a few a few little hairs in the soup, but, but all, all in all, we, we, do, we do fine. Hairs in the soup? Yeah, that's like a problem. Sounds like a bad problem. I'd rather be in a haunted cabin than deal with a haunted Ouija board. Again, if you just don't believe in it, it, it can't do anything. I'd still rather. I'd still rather. It sounds like more fun. As long as I had people with me. Your movie would, that movie would be better than mine because you would just see me play with it for a minute and be like, this sucks. And then <laughs> I feel, I go feel jack like off if or I something. ever do end up in a haunted place that I hope Ricky would be with me because I'd be like... Oh yeah, I remember what he said for that questionnaire. I feel like he's going to be into this. Here, go go find him. <laughs> go, just go check it out. She's fucking sick and deadites on you, dude. Damn. I say you were born for this. We talked about this. Demogorgons. I think, I, dude, I think it's, oh. I think it's my calling <laughs> to be the next Ash. Yeah, dude. I what what can I do but get? Dude? Come on, man. But what? This is this is what I bought a Vapor for. A what? Vapor. It's oh, it's a it's an AK forty seven. Oh, it's a Ukrainian AK. Well, I mean, an AK ain't gonna do much against deadites. Oh. I was like, you have, to oh. dis- you have to dismember them. I was like, oh, a vapor, and then he's like, oh, an AK. I'm like, oh, oh, okay. I got machetes too. Mm-hmm. I hell, I got katanas. I got all kind of God all damn. kinds of cutlery. All kinds of cutlery. Yeah, that you fancy. Out. I fancy them. All right, this has been fancy. So I think we're gonna do this again, and next time we'll uh, we'll all write some questions or something like that. Or oh boy, yeah. that would be fun. Yeah, it would be. So if no one liked it, fuck you. It's happening again. <laughs> <laughs> so for the next part of the show, uh, we're gonna go into our well. It's not a new segment. I've been calling it the cryptids or the featured cryptid or whatever the fuck I've been saying. Uh, I've covered the Wendigo, Shadow People, a few different things, but I decided since not all of these are necessarily cryptids, which is a uh, biological beast that could be real, it doesn't fall into the category all the time of some of the the things we're going to talk about. And uh, tonight, I'm announcing it to the world, it is now going to be called the Creature Featured, 
It's a play on the creature feature, a certain subgenre of horror films. And I think everything we'll ever talk about could fall into this. And if it doesn't, then, you know, fuck you, it does. So, (laughs) (laughs) tonight's creature featured is the ogre. And we're going to dive into the deep history of this mythical beast right now. of myth, folklore, and fiction, usually fashioned as a large humanoid beast that eats ordinary men. They also have an appetite to match their size, comparable with giants and other myths. It is said nothing can match their immense hunger for human flesh. Ogres are also prominent in classic works of literature, usually as inhumanly grotesque antagonists and are most often associated in fairy tales and legend with a sweet tooth for children. Ogres are blunt, rude, and merciless. And unlike giants, these brutal creatures engage in cannibalism and prey on weaker members of their own kind. Some stories involving these hungry, swamp-dwelling monsters were likely told as a cautionary tale to prevent the practice of cannibalism, substituting man for the ogre. Famous examples of ogres in folklore include the ogre in Puss in Boots and the ogre in Hop on My Thumb. The word ogre is thought to be of French origin, originally derived from the Etruscan god Orcus, who fed on human flesh. Its earliest attestation is in Creation de Troyes' late 12th century verse romance Percival, the story of the Grail which contains these lines. And it is written that he will come again to all the realms of Logres, known as the land of ogres, and destroy them with that lance. The ogres in this rhyme may refer to the ogres who were, in a pseudo-historical work, History of King of Britons by Joffrey of Monmouth, the inhabitants of Britain prior to human settlement. Among other early references, the Latin Orcus, found in Beowulf, and the Italian Orco, which refers to a monster found in fairy tales that feeds on human flesh, inspired J.R.R. Tolkien's Orc. The origin of the word traces back to what I find fundamental in its meaning, the concept of the other, some unknown living over the hills, a potential threat to the village or kingdom that could emerge from the dark forest at any time to conquer and consume all. A tyrant wielding control and practicing brutality through warfare, in a sense, can consume many lives. That kind of ties into uh, one of the antagonists in tonight's Midnight Ritual. Speaking of the aforementioned Orcus, another ancient deity that's eating its way through the human race, He was a god of the underworld and the punisher of broken oaths, this tying into the other antagonist of tonight's Midnight Ritual. Commonly portrayed in paintings and Etruscan tombs as a hairy, bearded giant, he was later tied into the mythology of Roman gods such as Pluto, Hades, or Dispatter. This god was also sometimes associated with the land of the dead, 
a place working toward purification of the soul. Other examples of ogres come from uh, places such as Iceland with Gryla, an Icelandic ogress with an appetite for children, or the Oni, a legendary Japanese monster. There's also Zjalvitz, I think that's how you say it, a demonic ogre from the mythology of uh, the Native American Shoshone tribe, infamous for kidnapping children, engaging in cannibalism, being involved in volcanic eruptions, and uh, supposedly it even managed to steal the sun. There's the Busaw of the Philippines, which appears human, conducting itself in such a way as to raise farm animals and planting root crops, but actually it prefers the taste of human meat, and thus has scattered human skeletons on the ground of its dwelling place. The brother of Pazuzu, Humbaba, is an ogre from Sumerian mythology who battled the heroes Gilgamesh and Enkidu. And now let's go ahead and talk about who is probably the most famous ogre of all time. I don't get it, Shrek. Why don't you just pull some of that ogre stuff on him? You know, throttle him, lay siege to his fortress, grind his bones to make your bread. You know the whole ogre trip. Oh, I know what. Maybe I could have decapitated an entire village and put their heads on a plate, got the knife, cut open their spleen, and drink their fluids. Hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on. Go play. No, not that ogre. Grindel is a character in the Anglo-Saxon epic poem Beowulf, set in 6th century Scandinavia and written by an anonymous poet between 700 and 1000 AD. He is one of the poem's three antagonists, along with his mother and a dragon, all aligned in opposition against the protagonist Beowulf. Grindel is a descendant of Cain, a creature of darkness exiled from happiness and accursed of God, the destroyer and devourer of our humankind. He is depicted as a monster or a giant, although is not clearly described in the poem itself and so remains the subject of scholarly debate. In the story, Grindel is harrowed by the sounds of singing that come every night from the mead hall of Heorot and so begins attacking the place and continues to attack the hall every night for 12 years, killing its inhabitants and consuming the many kills now that he could hope to eat his fill. Beowulf hears of these attacks and decides to destroy Grendel. He and his warriors stay in the meat hall and await the inevitable. Grendel stalks outside of the building and then makes a sudden attack, bursting the door in with his fists and continuing through the entry. The first warrior Grendel finds is still asleep, so he seizes the man and devours him. Grendel then grabs a second warrior, unbeknownst to him, Beowulf, and is shocked when the warrior grabs back with a fearsome strength. Beowulf's men draw swords and rush to his aid, but find their blades cannot pierce Grendel's skin. This, however, is of no concern to Beowulf, who uses neither weapon nor armor in this fight, for he views himself as an equal to the ogre. And after a violent struggle, he tears off Grendel's arm at the shoulder, mortally wounding the creature. Grendel flees, but dies in his marsh den, 
where Beowulf later engages in a fierce battle with Grendel's mother, and following her death, Beowulf removes the head of Grendel's corpse to keep as a trophy. going to a very dangerous place, so be careful. The thing that slumbers there, it is not human. This is directly from the mouth of the fawn in Pan's Labyrinth, warning the protagonist Ophelia about the Pale Man. The Pale Man is the secondary antagonist of this dark fairy tale film, portrayed by Doug Jones, who also played the fawn. The Pale Man is an enormously tall, humanoid monster with sagging pale skin and uses eyeballs in the palms of his hands to hunt his prey. Ophelia is warned about this ogre for good reason, as shown on the walls of the creature's lair, which are adorned with paintings of the Pale Man eating live children one by one. Also, in a corner of the Pale Man's lair is a large pile of children's clothes and shoes, presumably kept as mementos and also indicating that he eats his victims entirely, blood and bones. Ophelia is sent into the lair to prove her worthiness of being princess of the underground realm. She must retrieve a dagger, which is kept locked up, and is told explicitly not to eat of the food found in the pale man's lair. And her fairy companions even attempt to stop her from doing so, but during the time this story takes place, it's post-Civil War Spain of 1944, when most people were boiling roots and making stone soup. So the banquet laid out on the table in this lair would have been very, very tempting for children who, at the time, would have been practically starving. When Ophelia first sees the creature, he is sleeping in a chair at the end of his dining table, next to a warm, crackling fireplace. Ophelia, though, quickly finds the dagger with some help from the fairies, but when she is about to leave, she just can't resist temptation and eats two juicy, plump grapes from the Pale Man's banquet. This causes the Pale Man to stir from his deep, silent slumber, who quickly picks up his eyeballs off a platter on the table and places them into eye sockets in the palm of his claw-like hands to see and immediately set off to find and eat Ophelia. What happens next I'll save for the Midnight Ritual, but this monster from the imagination of Guillermo del Toro is inspired by several things, including the ogre. It all started with the idea of an old man with sagging skin, and its appearance later evolved with uh, del Toro's notion of the creepy appearance of the manta ray fish. Its hands to him represent stigmata from the Catholic religion, and uh, <laughs> surprise, surprise, it was also heavily inspired by Francisco Goya's Saturn devouring his son. We've talked about that painting before. And the Pale Man could possibly be influenced by the Tinome, a yokai from Japanese folklore, which is distinctive for wandering through open fields and graveyards while hunting for human flesh. It uses its powerful sense of smell to pursue its victims in the dark, and this is due to its face having no eyes. Instead, its eyes are in the palms of its hands. I've mentioned our two antagonists from Pan's Labyrinth, uh, one of which a tyrant that consumes the lives of those around him, and the Pale Man here that consumes the innocence of children. 
as well as their bodies. And I want to draw a parallel between Orcus and the Pale Man. Orcus, the ancient god, is known as the Punisher of Oathbreakers, and Ovelia is given specific directions before entering this creature's domain. And of course, she breaks the rules. She breaks this oath, so the ogre awakens. I'm sure we'll touch on more of this during the Midnight Ritual and in the wrap-up, but this has been my little uh, foray into the origins and the variants of the ogre. And that was your featured creature. So how are we going to fill out the rest of the episode? Uh, You've been following us on social media. And uh, if you could pick up on the clues about the Pale Man, we're going to talk about a certain film in a midnight ritual. If you don't know what a midnight ritual is by now, well, you haven't been listening very long. But if this is your first episode, our midnight ritual is uh, when we like to turn the lights down low, maybe light a candle or two, pop some popcorn, pour our favorite beverages, uh, imbibe in some uh, otherworldly substance. Yeah. And we talk about a film. 11.55. Almost midnight. Enough time for one more story. One more story before 's Labyrinth, or The Labyrinth of the Fawn, is a 2006 fantasy horror film written and directed by Guillermo del Toro. The film is a Spanish-Mexican co-production, and it stars a bunch of names that I did not learn how to say. <laughs> I mean, I'm not even going to lie. Look, I don't want to butcher these names. I'm not Spanish-speaking. Right, right. I don't want to fuck this up. But um, this movie, man... Oh my god. I first heard about this. Like, I knew who uh, Del Toro was based off of uh, Hellboy. Right. And uh, Blade 2. That was my original introduction to who this guy was. Well, and he do special effects on Blade 2? He directed Blade 2. Directed it? Yeah. I might, f- need, I might need to rewatch that movie. Oh yeah. It's better than the first. Is it? Oh yeah. He, he, he is a visionary director. His All I imag- remember is the... Yeah. That was awesome. Yeah, the open mouth fucking vampires fucking flaying their mouths open like, yeah. Like the Predator. <laughs> <laughs> Sans nuclear bomb in their wrist watch. Guillermo del Toro is, is a visionary director who, his imagination is boundless. He, he recently won Best Picture for The Shape of Water. Uh, those accolades, be that what they are, I mean, you know, grain of salt, whatever. But the guy's had a long career He's got a lot of great films under his belt, and I think that Pan's Labyrinth is his masterpiece. Um, movies like Crimson Peak, uh, what's the big robot one? Fucking uh, Pacific, Pacific Rim. Rim. Yeah. Dope. Um, 
So good. Kronos. Uh, he's 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 made a lot of fucking amazing movies, but yeah. this movie transcends. I, I I got my my friends to go watch it back in the day when it came out. Uh, it was it was here in Lafayette, Louisiana. It was at the Grand Theater, and uh, again they didn't pull any punches. It was Spanish language. You have to go in. You have to read. You have to you have to see right. what what the characters are saying. Everyone that I brought to it, I didn't know if they would enjoy it or not, but we all walked out blown the fuck away, man. Like, it really fucked us up. It fucked us up, inspired us, enthralled us. Incredible film. You got some stats for us? So, I was actually reading about it earlier, and did you know that it uh, reached $83.3 million at box office? No, I didn't know it went that high. What was the budget? Budget was nineteen million. So it doubled profit. its budget. Yeah, yeah, it made a profit. Profit. And I would say that's why he was able to go on and do like Hellboy two and Pacific Rim and shit. Right. I agree with you on the fact that it's probably. Uh, I don't know if it's his masterpiece. I haven't seen a lot of his movies, mm. but I definitely consider it a masterwork. You know, like sure. You know, it's 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 an amazing movie. Del Toro We're is a our talented load. dude. We're blowing our load at the beginning, and it's my fault. But it's, I mean, anyone who's a horror fan who's... And people would argue, is this horror adjacent? I would say... I would say it's horror adjacent. Yeah, to an extent. I would still put it in the horror camp. and okay. and, and for a lot of reasons. Imagery, uh, gore, um, subject matter. A ch- well, I'm not going to say it right out... At the, at, at the onset, right. I mean, the, the same thing always applies with the Midnight Ritual. We're covering the film. If you have not seen it, stop listening now. That was yeah, your warning. That's a warning. There is child murder in this. Take film. it or leave it. There's child murder. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's, it's does that constitute horror? It's horrific. It's war, horrific. War movies are horrific too. That's why I say I think the imagery, the score, the tension. Yeah. That that builds up in certain scenes. I think all that le- lends itself to being able to fit into the horror genre, at least for me. And if that's not enough for other people, that's fine. You could call it horror adjacent. I agree. I still consider it horror adjacent, but I get where you're coming from because it is a horrific it is. movie. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> there's some fucked up shit in this movie. You know, man. it's. A, I was thinking about try. I was trying to quantify what I like so much about it. And, you know, it's it's got some great acting, some great writing, some great dialogue. It's written in a very interesting place and time in history. Mm-hmm. I love World War II stuff. It's got a cool fairy tale subplot. Yeah. It's just got a very cool fairy tale thing going. This was <laughs> the last movie that I saw in theaters that actually gave me a gut punch reaction where I was instantly afraid and that's during the Pale Man scene. Okay. I pictured the Pale Man coming up the aisles towards me with his eye, with his hand out, with the eye in it, looking yeah. for me in the theater at the moment while it was happening. And I just, I was like, oh my God, dude, I'm stiff in my seat. Like, I've had similar, I've had, okay, Hereditary gave me that good punch with the Charlie getting her hit. Right. But, but, but. That was the last pure one where I was not aware yet that I'm looking for that. Right. If that makes any sense. No, I get. I get. It's almost like the last childlike. Yeah. 
like fear. Yeah. No, I understand. And it makes sense because it was based around a child going into the lair. Of right. The, I want to get into it as we get into the film. Are you ready to, to, to get yeah, into the movie? Let's take a dive. All right. Deep dive time. And here we, we will begin the midnight ritual. Yep. Cue the music. mother's lullaby hangs over the desperate, erratic breaths of a child in Spain, 1944. At this time, a few stragglers from the Civil War had taken refuge in the mountains, determined to fight the fascist regime until the bitter end. As blood runs backward of the face and into the nose of the dying girl, there comes a father's voice to recount an old fairy tale. A long time ago, in the underground realm, where there are no lies or pain, there lived a princess who dreamt of a human world. She dreamt of blue skies, soft breeze and sunshine. One day, eluding her keepers, the princess escaped. Once outside, the bright sun blinded her and erased her memory. She forgot who she was and where she came from. Her body suffered cold, sickness, and pain, and eventually she died. However, her father, the king, always knew that the princess's soul would return, perhaps in another body, in another place, at another time. He would wait for her until he drew his last breath, until the world stopped turning. So right out of the gate, what do you think about this opening scene and this and this fairy tale being told, like being opened up to us? Right. Um, so, first and foremost, the language is beautiful. Oh yeah. You know, like it's, it's perfect for a child's fairy tale. Right. And it resonates with everyone, whether you're a child or an adult. Right. That that's a key thing about this movie. That's no, why, definitely. even though it's rated R, you could potentially show this to your child. Cover their eyes at certain parts, but you can have them see this movie. Yeah. And and they get it on a visceral level, man, like on a real level of 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 pure hopes and fears. Right. Like you said, a very real and visceral, like almost uh it's just something in our monkey brains that we all <laughs> learn about and go through in life. Time is run backwards and the girl is dying no longer. Her name is Ophelia, and she is poring over a book of fairy tales while accompanying her mother, Carmen, on a car ride through the Spanish countryside. Ophelia is a bookworm, and though her mother is well-intentioned, Carmen says Ophelia is too old for fairy tales and nonsense. Carmen then gets motion sickness, and the caravan escorting them comes to a stop. She is very pregnant, and this journey is taking its toll. As several soldiers bring water to her mother, Ophelia wanders off and finds a rock with a carving on it. She picks it up and notices an obelisk nearby. Etched into it is the face of a man, screaming. The rock she picked up fits perfectly into place and reveals the face's missing eye. 
Seemingly being whole again causes a chirping and chittering grasshopper-like insect to emerge from the gaping maw of the obelisk's face. While Ophelia is mesmerized, her mother calls to her and the insect flies off. As they resume their trip, Carmen asks a favor of her daughter. They are on their way to be with the captain, the father of Ophelia's new sibling, and Carmen asks her to start calling the captain father, something Ophelia isn't keen on. The obelisk insect watches as the caravan rides on and follows in tow. So with this opening scene, we've established that Ophelia loves fairy tales. Mm-hmm. Her mother, the authoritative figure, is... Not feeling it. No, not at all. She thinks it's nonsense, and I think that is nonsense, but you know, whatever. Because immediately she finds clues that, hey man... Look at this fairy tale unraveling before my eyes. And and this this is we're gonna start off here with with the two branches of what this film could be. Right, I figured it was coming to this. <laughs> yeah, and, and it starts here. It's so unclear. It, it could start with the with the previous with the the, the uh, what do you call that the prologue, where yeah, you have the dying right. girl and then the fairy tale opening. But here you see the, the dichotomy of the the world Ophelia is facing, where she's a child that wants to believe in fairy tales and then the people that are older and supposedly wiser and know more than her are beating her down and saying no but you're you're forced as the audience to start to decide right here now is Ophelia imagining certain things or is she stumbling into a world that was promised to her right is she the princess of legend that that needs to go back to the underground realm is is this one of the, you know, the things her father left behind for her to to discover, right? To open a portal to go home finally. The captain is a man of discipline and order. Lawful evil. We talked about that earlier. Mm. Um, punctuality seems key. He stares at his ticking pocket watch as the caravan arrives, and says to himself that they are five minutes late. Nevertheless. He greets Carmen and his unborn child warmly, though harshly corrects Ophelia for extending the wrong hand for a handshake. Asshole. Mm-hmm. Mercedes, one of the women in service to Captain Vidal, notices Ophelia chase an insect into the nearby woods. A wondrous yet ominous circular stone entrance being overtaken by the plants lay open before the curious girl. She begins to walk in, but is caught by Mercedes, who says this old pile of stones, this labyrinth, has been here a very long time, even longer than the mill. Yeah, so this scene right here, man, holy fuck, you meet, you meet, you meet them, El Capitan. The fucking, the, the, the evil daddy. The Darth Vader of this story. <laughs> well, he's, no, he's the emperor, man. No, he- he is, but Darth Vader is so, to me so much more of a threatening and looming figure. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. just image-wise. You yeah. know, he's just this authority symbol, worldly he, authority symbol, you know? Well, he's, he's fucking, um... <laughs> he's, uh... What's the actor's name? Peter, he's the Peter Cushing. He's the fucking uh, Grand Moff Tarkin to the Darth Vader. He's the, he's the general in charge. He's the guy that Darth Vader answers to. We're getting we're getting nerdy with Star Wars here, right? But yeah, dude, this guy, this guy is a fucking asshole. 
And immediately when they get there, Ophelia fucking still, she's finding her way, like, back to the fairy tale, like... Right. And she's being led to right. this place. Yes, yeah, the little stick bug is flying around, taking her where she needs to go. And we're introduced to Mercedes. Mercedes, yep. My we don't, favorite character. <laughs> we, don't, we don't know much about her yet, but right. holy shit. Yeah. Alright, so the next scene. Inside the regime's camp, Captain Vidal and other officers discuss a strategy for smoking out the rebel fighters hiding in the mountains. Mercedes is serving them food and whiskey, eyeing the maps laid out before the captain, but is told to fetch Dr. Okay, and, and here I go with I don't know how to pronounce everything. Spanish stuff. <laughs> but I think it's Ferio. Yeah, yeah, that sounds right. Dr. Ferio, who is administering medicine to Carmen. Before going off to Captain Vidal, the doctor gives over some medication in secret to Mercedes for a wounded prisoner. Ophelia is caught by Mercedes watching this exchange, but the young girl goes to bed with her mother. To soothe her frightened daughter, Garmin tells her that in the country the wind causes the walls to creak as they settle, as if they are speaking. Although troubled by these new sounds in the quiet rural nights, Ophelia decides to calm her brother in utero with a fable. Many, many years ago, in a sad, faraway land, there was an enormous mountain made of rough black stone. At sunset, on top of that mountain, a magic rose blossomed that would make whoever plucked it immortal. But no one dared go near it, because its thorns were full of poison. Men talked among themselves about their fear of death and pain, but never the promise of eternal life. And every day the rose wilted, unable to bequeath its gifts to anyone, forgotten and lost at the top of that cold, dark mountain, forever alone until the end of time. As the mother and daughter sleep, the insect from the obelisk sneaks in through the window. Elsewhere, Dr. Fidiato, if I'm saying that right, I can't even say it, enters the private quarters of Captain Vidal, who is meticulously cleaning the inner workings of his pocket watch. This meeting is for a debrief on Carmen and the baby's health. Although the doctor tells the captain not to be alarmed, he also says it is his professional opinion that Carmen should not have traveled. The captain says a son should be born wherever his father is. A couple of soldiers show up in need of the captain, but before he leaves, the doctor has one question. While the captain and by extension Carmen are assuming the baby is a boy, Dr. Fierro asks, What makes you so sure the baby is a male? To which Captain Vidal scoffs, and with a smile turned grimace, tells him, Don't fuck with me. <laughs> so we're learning more about our captain here. Yes. All right. Let's back it up. We we're seeing Mercedes is eavesdropping on right what what they're doing. They're checking they're, the maps out, making a point to look and visually memorize. And you know they don't say it yet, but you you can assume yeah she she's memorizing it for someone. And then you see the doctor giving her medicines, and they're talking about a wounded soldier. Right. If if you're not if you're not like trying to be too you know if you're not scrutinizing what's going on then you you could just assume 
they're helping someone out in the camp or whatever, but, right. you know, we're going to come to to what all this means later. But then Ophelia decides to, uh, you know, help her, her little baby brother through a hard time. A little fable. Another fable. Another yeah. little tale in this movie. Right. Again, like you said, tying in the fairy tale aspect to it's so hardcore. Right. And I like how they do it outside of the plot as well. Mm-hmm. You know, the plot has... The plot almost has two plots. Yeah, you know, it's almost, it does. It's, it's got this... It's almost... I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. The real it's, world plot and the fairy tale plot. It also has, like I said, the separate fables that get told. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's cool. It's just Del, really... Del Toro, really, he, he wrote these before he, he was done with the script. And oh. He worked them in because he liked what he wrote. It's dope. I like... uh. I like the fact that there's separate fables. They just really lean heavy into it, you know? It's cool. Up to this point, we can assume now that Cap- the captain is, is, you know, a bit of a dick. He, yeah. He's self-centered, uh, meticulous, and, right. and, and very thorough. So all that's building up to, to wondering, like, well, what kind of fucking asshole is this guy, really? Right. Telling the doctor, like, don't fuck with me whenever it comes to guessing the gender of his baby. Right. We're talking 1944, and you're in the middle of the forest with no instrumentations or, or, or any kind of understanding of what your baby is, but he's so certain. It's right. his boy. Right. And his pride is just running rampant. I also just want to talk about how amazing the scenery, like the scenery in this place is. Mm-hmm. These, these ruins and obelisks and everything, they're just beautiful. Oh, hell yeah. Set design is on point. Yeah. Like, man, I want that shit in my yard. I want to live on the set of Pan's Labyrinth. Okay, so <laughs> there we go. This I movie won some that... Oscars for a few things. I, I don't have my notes pulled up for that, but uh, yeah, it definitely won for a few a few different things. I think set design might have been one or costume. I think costume was Art one direction, of them for sure. Uh, I think also maybe best screenplay? I, I, I don't remember. I know it won some stuff, but anyway, I just wanted to put that out there real quick. The soldiers lead Captain Vidal to a couple of men they find out in the wilderness this night. A father and son, so they claim, out for a hunt. The son speaks of his father's honor and is told to be silent more than once. The father explains he is hunting for rabbits to cook for his daughter and, and his son speaks up again on his father's behalf. Having investigated their belongings and confiscated their firearms, Captain Vidal takes a bottle from the father's satchel and coldly strikes the son across the face. Before the young man can fall, Captain Vidal grabs the boy's shirt, clutching him, using the bottle to hammer into the youth's face. His nose breaks and crumbles and caves in with blow after blow after blow. His father, now distraught and angry, curses the captain, who in turn unloads two bullets into the man's chest, nearly killing the soldier that held him up, and then executes the son with a headshot. Having disposed of these captives, the captain then finds a couple of rabbits in the bottom of the satchel. Their deaths come of no concern to the merciless captain, who scolds his uh, subordinate for not searching them. Here, here is the scene where yes. we learn what Captain Vidal is. What type of evil this dude actually is. No fucks given. Lawful evil as fuck. <laughs> if you want 
lawful evil, you have Captain Vidal. If you want chaotic evil, you've got the Firefly Firefly family. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, I would put it that way too. Yeah. Damn. And we haven't even talked about those movies yet. Right. But we will. We, we will, will, definitely. They're chaotic evil as fuck. Oh, God, yes. Anyway, for those who don't know what we're talking about, we're referencing uh, a literal morality alignment chart from Dungeons & Dragons. Mm-hmm. So, there you go. It'll come to play uh, towards, towards the end. I like to categorize most characters and things to the best that you can with this rudimentary chart. It's a good chart. It's a good chart. It's not perfect. It's a good chart. But it's a good chart. It's a you good can, chart. You can, you can normally pin okay someone chart. down to... Yeah. It works. Yeah. I'm, I'm like lawful evil. I, lawful evil's my favorite alignment. <laughs> no. To me, it's the most interesting. It is. It, it, or, or, or it's one of the most it, interesting. It can be. It can yeah. be. You know? Uh, Depending on who's playing the, the part. Yeah. It depends on the character of the person. Right. You could be whatever alignment, but if you really sell... That alignment. Is that a spider? Uh, it looked like a little no seam gnat. A little gnat, yeah. My wife calls them no seams. The ones you can't see too good. No seams. <laughs> <laughs> we're getting invaded by bugs here. Um, but yeah, we, we're, we're, we're finding out that Captain Vidal is a brutal motherfucker. He, he literally fucking face plants someone to death with a whiskey bottle or a beer bottle. And then shoots shoots them both to death. I mean, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, it's a brutal scene. It's fucked up, man. It's fucked up. And then all he does is scold the dude for not... Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 so fucked up. Imagine how that guy feels. You're like, oh, I didn't look at the bottom of his bag. And I'd have saved their lives. I'd have saved their lives if I'd have just... Did a, more thorough did a more search. thorough search. That's why he tells him. Yeah. Don't fucking bring this crap to me anymore unless you do a thorough search. Right. He's like, don't bother me with this shit. That's he, basically what he tells him. He turns those rabbits into fucking stew, too. Yeah. I mean, I love a rabbit. I don't blame him on that. Hell no. I'd eat them rabbits. Well, they don't need them. <laughs> they don't need them anymore. Fuck it. <laughs> the dead. <laughs> <laughs> I love rabbit. scene, Ophelia awoke to the sound of a chirping, chittering insect. As she lay up in bed, the bug approached her, and she asked if it were a fairy. After showing the critter what a fairy looks like in one of her many books, the insect cracked and stretched its way into a more human form. It beckoned her to follow, and off into the woods they went, out into the night, deep into the ancient labyrinth. At the center of this maze awaited a staircase leading Ophelia down to another obelisk, centered inside concentric circles. This open pit carried sound as if it were cavernous, and its walls overgrown with moss, roots, and weeds, from which emerged a large creature, also covered in moss, with a human form, but goat-like features. This thing with horns released more fairies from a wooden box and introduced itself to Ophelia as something that has had so many names. Old names that the wind and the trees can only pronounce. I am the mountain, the forest, and the earth. I am a fawn, 
your most humble servant, your highness. The fallen claims Ophelia is actually Princess Moana, daughter of the king of the underworld. She is told that it was the moon that bore her, not man. Her birthmark proves as much. Furthermore, her father has left portals open all over the world, hoping that one day he would be able to lure her soul back to its rightful place, her true home. The fawn gives her a blank text called the Book of Crossroads, as well as a pouch of stones, and tells her to look at the book when she is alone. To ensure her essence is intact, she must accomplish three tasks before the next full moon. With this, the fawn leaves her and recedes into the walls, into the shadows. So this whole scene right here, Ophelia going into the labyrinth, going down the fucking stairway, the fawn introducing himself, yeah, the fairies, like, we are now in a whole other world in right. this movie. The special effects here are so on point. Doug Jones plays the, the fawn and the pale man coming up later. I didn't know he did the Pell Man too. Yeah. Okay. He he he's done a lot of uh, effects work where he he's in the costume of a character. He, Isn't he the fish guy from Hellboy? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. I he thought is. so. Uh, Abe Sapien. Yeah. Yes. Abe Sapien. Yeah, I've read that. Guillermo Guillermo del Toro, excuse me, and uh, Doe Jones. They have a collaboration. They they like working together. They like working. They're together. bros. Yeah, they're bros. That's awesome. <laughs> and, um, and Charlie from Sunny in Philadelphia is bros with uh, Guillermo now, too. Oh, fucking A. Ever he, since Pacific Rim. As he should be. And he's been... Guillermo was on on a few episodes. He plays the grandfather... Uh, the grandfather of those weird... The McPoyles. The he's McPoyles? grandfather McPoyle. Are you for real? Yeah, he's all senile. That. He's all senile. When talking. it's all sunny in Philadelphia? Yeah. Oh, no. He's a little senile old man McPoyle talking about eating babies and stuff. Like, oh, shit. Yeah, he's crazy. Okay, well, we tie back into the ogre theme and the eating babies. All right. There you go. So the Book of Crossroads. You get this blank book and you're told to look into it when you're alone and it's going to reveal your future. Yeah. The book what? is cool. Oh, dude. All of this is a fantastic And the three setup. magic stones. For real, man. This is this is fantasy coming into this real world shit that Ophelia is having to deal with. And again, you have to split your mind as a viewer. What, what am I seeing here? Right. Is this the real shit? Or is this some um, child's imagination? Right. I really like uh, the box... That he carries the fairies into that wooden little that yeah. little wooden cylinder like thing. Yeah, yeah. I think that, I just think it's cool looking. It is. So the following morning, Captain Vidal performs his straight razor shave ritual while blasting some music on a record player, presumably from the 1920s. He makes his way down to the kitchen and orders Mercedes and the help to make a stew out of the dead father and son's rabbits and complains about the shit taste of the coffee. (laughs) While all the women that cook and tend to general needs of the camp are drawing a bath and complaining about the captain, Carmen gives Ophelia a beautiful new dress. She urges her to try it on, but while in the bathroom to change, Ophelia opens the Book of Crossroads. 
Art and words began to manifest on the empty pages of the book, a conjuration the fawn had promised when peeking into the pages alone. Right here we get a peek into Captain Vidal's morning ritual. He shaves with a straight razor and listens to music loudly in the room. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like 1920s big band shit. Right. But it's what he gets down to. And yeah, you'll see him doing this uh, throughout the film. And yeah, Ophelia's mother, uh, she she's very concerned with how Ophelia presents herself. She's giving her a new dress, new new shoes. She sewed the dress herself too. It's a, and it is, it is a pretty dress. No, it is. It's, it's, it's a, very a beautiful dress. green, vibrant dress. But she wants her to be presentable for the captain. Right. Everything that Carmen is trying to do at this point is to integrate her and her daughter into this new fascist regime. Right. Saying, like, we have to adhere to this. We have to... This is how we survive. Right. And as a parent, whenever you have nothing else, I could see someone wanting to integrate this way. Like, to save their child. Definitely. Yeah. And when you're... It's a survival thing. Yeah. And when, and when you're this high, like, you have this high of a link into the, the the echelon of power. Right. Where you can be with Captain fucking Vidal. It's like one of the things where you don't pass it up if you're, you know, like, not necessarily like a lower-born, well, in a fascist regime, yeah, you'd technically be a lower-born person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's almost an opportunity that, it's an opportunity you'd be stupid not to at least explore. Yeah. Yeah, you know, especially with a child depending on you, and another on the way, and a, and a, and you're pregnant for the thing, for the right, for the dude, you know. I mean, yeah. Oh, and the book, the book. She opens the book, and uh, right then and there, doesn't it? Like some artwork and the uh, calligraphy comes onto the page, manifests, and you see. Well, she's told her next thing to right. do, which is Ophelia, decked out in her new wares, goes with Mercedes to milk the cows. After Mercedes shoots down believing in fairies, Ophelia confides in her about meeting the fawn and is interrupted by the captain. The supply shipment has arrived, and Captain Vidal wants the key to the storeroom. While locking up their inventory, Vidal and his men spot what is likely smoke from a campfire far off in the distance. So they mount up on horseback and ride up the mountain in pursuit of what could be rebels. As the men chase smoke, Ophelia reads the newly inscribed passages in the book. Once upon a time, when the forest was young, it was home to creatures who were full of magic and wonder. They protected one another and slept in the shade of a colossal fig tree that grew on a hill near the mill. But now, the tree is dying. Its branches are dry, its trunk old and twisted. A monstrous toad has settled in its roots and won't let the tree thrive. Force the magic stones into the toad's mouth and take the golden key from inside its belly. Only then will the fig tree flourish again. So now we know what Ophelia has to do. Right. This is her first task. She has to go out and fucking face this monstrous toad. Right. Get with some magic stones and get a key. And get a fucking key. From inside it. So with this. While reading this tale, Ophelia made her way to an old weathered husk of a tree. Her new shoes were already muddy, 
So to save her new dress from the same fate, she hangs it on a nearby branch and enters the trunk with her magic stones. As she travels deeper into the roots of the tree, Captain Vidal and his company come to the campfire. Upon investigating, the captain finds the package of antibiotics Dr. Fierro. Fierro? <laughs> Dr. Fierro. We're at the same crossroads with this. We're, we're, we open our own book of crossroads here. Right. How do you say this dude's name? We're not Spanish-speaking, so I, I would just say Fierro. Ferio. 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 I'm going to say Ferro. Ferro. That sounds too much like Ferro for me. Okay. <laughs> Dr. Ferro has given Mercedes. Okay. Okay. Let's start that over. <laughs> Upon investigating, the captain finds the package of antibiotics Dr. Ferro had given Mercedes. The captain taunts the rebels hidden in the woods, and they make their way back to camp as a troop of men watch in the distance. Ophelia is covered in viscous mud and slimy bugs when she comes across the giant toad that attempts to eat her, but she easily tricks the amphibian into eating the magic stones instead, and the mighty toad regurgitates a gelatinous blob, completely turning inside out. Ophelia is successful in retrieving the golden key and exiting the tree, but she finds her dress blown into the mud by the wind during a torrential downpour. The evening is upon them, and Carmen, Captain Vidal, along with their officers, have dinner guests over at the camp. While they indulge in feast, Captain Vidal explains the new strict rationing that every family in the area will have to abide by. Captain Vidal speaks of his son being born in a new cleansed Spain, and that if he has to kill every last rebel to make that a reality, then he will do so. <laughs> As the dinner is going on, Mercedes sneaks away to the tree line, and using her lantern gives a signal. At that very moment, a dirty, wet, and cold Ophelia makes her way out of the woods and up to Mercedes. Carmen is excused from the dinner after learning Ophelia has arrived. One of the guests recalls meeting Vidal's father once in Morocco and how much of an impression he had made on him. He also asked about a rumor regarding Vidal's father. Had he really smashed his watch on the battlefield so that his son would know the exact hour of his death? Captain Vidal responded saying it was nonsense. His father never owned a watch. In the bathroom, Carmen chides Ophelia as she bathes and calls her a disappointment to her and her father. Her father more so than her. The fairy arrives when Carmen leaves and leads Ophelia back into the labyrinth later on that night. She presents the golden key to the fawn, who appears more vibrant and less rickety than before. He tells Ophelia that she will need the key and a piece of chalk for her next task and that soon they would stroll together through the seven circular gardens of her palace. But it must be before the next full moon. Fucking information dump right here, dude. Yeah. We've got Ophelia going through the tree. She's fucking face, the, face down that nasty toad. Yeah. Captain Vidal having his fucking dinner guest over and laying down the new law. And then Ophelia also getting told that like, hey man... You got two more tasks to complete, and the full moon's coming. 
Right. So. Yeah, she gets really dirty. (laughs) (laughs) Everything just gets, she just ruins that dress and those shoes. Pisses off her mom. Probably not the shoes. The shoes can probably be cleaned and polished, but that dress is fucked. She definitely pissed her mom off. When the toad dies is like one of my favorite scenes. The way it dies oh, is hilarious. It just spits itself up. It just spits itself out. Like you can even see the little bugs in it still. <laughs> <laughs> and it just its skin just becomes a flat piece of frog skin. As residents and families of the area gather their rations the next morning outside of the mill, Ophelia wakes up and hides away in the bathroom to see what her next mission is using the book but it merely spills blood in the shape of ovaries. Mm-hmm. From their bedroom, something falls to the floor, and much to Ophelia's shock, her mother is trying to walk, her nightgown soaked in blood from the crotch down, her hands bloated and reaching out for help. Captain Vidal is checking his watch, his henchmen prattling on about a great new Spain as they hand out bread when Ophelia summons him to help Carmen. Dr. Fierro. Who knows how to say his name? Sedates Carmen and and tells the two, and tells the captain she needs consent to rest. Can't say the dude's name. (laughs) We can't say his name. Yeah. We suck at this. Ferrero. 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 Dr. Ferrero sedates Carmen and tells the two. And tells the captain she needs constant rest to recover, or she may lose the baby. Mercedes is put in charge of watching over Ophelia, who is very worried about her mother and the two bond over Mercedes' secret. She and the doctor are helping the rebellion in the woods. To comfort Ophelia, Mercedes hums a simple, sweet, yet melancholic lullaby. Later that night, she and the doctor meet with the rebels to give them more medicine. At the same time, the phone appears to Ophelia again and presents a mandrake root to place under her sick mother's bed in a bowl of fresh milk and to feed it two drops of blood every morning. He then hands over his container of fairies as well as an hourglass and warns Ophelia that where she is about to go is a very dangerous place. The thing that slumbers there is not human. He warns her not to partake in any of the food or drinks she may find in this place or it could cost her her life. Hidden deep in the mountains, the wounded rebel in dire need of antibiotics is given some bad news by Dr. Fierro. His leg must come off before being overcome with rot. As he is amputated, Ophelia is discovering the rules of her next task. The book reveals to her, use the chalk to trace a door anywhere in your room. Once the door is open, start the hourglass. Let the fairies guide you. Don't eat or drink anything. And come back before the last grain of sand falls. Having traced her doorway and turned her hourglass over, Ophelia makes her way down into a garish flesh and blood-colored hallway with bone-like pillars. She lowers herself down onto a chair from her entrance halfway up the wall. This is the dangerous place. Hidden in some dimension outside of reality, and separate somehow of the sound of crackling fire and smothered screams coming from the outer ether. Ophelia follows the hall to an open lair with a large table overflowing with a succulent feast. 
and seated at the table before a roaring fireplace is a motionless monster, its skin sagging from some former gluttony, its face devoid of eyes, mouth a crusty crimson, its blood-stained hands and claws splayed out open on the tabletop. Murals hung over the towering creature depicting its stabbing, killing, and eating children, devouring babies. A pile of children's shoes made proof positive the horrid art on display in the ogre's lair. Wasting no more time, Ophelia releases the fairies and they show her three keyholes and a mantle behind her. She decides which one to unlock and is awarded a pristine golden dagger. As she and the fairies go to leave, Ophelia is almost hypnotically drawn into the banquet before her, and against the protest of the fairies, she closes her eyes and eats a huge, juicy grape. The rules have been broken. With a raspy breath and joints cracking, the pale man at the end of the table comes to life and places an eyeball in the palm of each hand from a platter on the table. While Ophelia is helping herself to a second grape, the staggering, off-kilter beast places its hands up where its eyes should be and lurches toward the unsuspecting girl. The fairies try to buy her some time and distract the pale man, but they only meet their utter demise. The rudely awakened giant snatches two of the fairies out of the air and viciously bites both of them in half. Terrified and hyperventilating, Ophelia runs to her chalk line exit, but the last grain of sand seals her in, with the pale man advancing on her, down the hall with awkward but menacing steps. The creature screeches and moves in as Ophelia climbs the chair and draws a new doorway on the ceiling. She barely manages to escape as she climbs through the ceiling of the pale man's lair, through the floor of her bedroom, and locks the bloody, hungry demon in, closing it off in a separate existence and begins to catch her breath while the ogre pounds on its own ceiling those thuds on her floor and it screams fading away man it's it, 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 it's like its own separate little mini story inside the film because mm-hmm. because of how long it takes to get it's not even that long it's not as long as I just read it out I mean it's probably longer my, my, my explanation of it is probably longer than it actually takes to happen yeah. But what is that thing? What is that thing? I love it. You know, I was thinking today it would be great to go into there, that situation, knowing what it is and what it does and what it's about. Because you could take the little eyeballs on the platter and you could take them and you could replace them with grapes. <laughs> that way when he wakes up, he tries to put the grapes in his hands and he's blind and stupid still. And you you just fixed this entire story. <laughs> That's that's just what I was thinking while I was watching it. Oh my god, that's genius. I wish some grapes was in his hands. (laughs) He'd have grape eyes. (laughs) Okay, so man... I wonder if he could still see if she just had the eyes in in her pocket or... Man cunt can't be the name of the episode, but grape eyes might... Grape eyes might be the name, eyes. the name of the episode. This is awesome. I mean, like, the the eyeballs were about the same size as, like, the grapes she was messing with. So, you know, do that it. would throw that dude for a loop. Do with that with you will. Yeah. All right, again on Front Street, um, as you could tell from earlier in the episode, Angel has shown up. 
um, 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 what, how'd you say it? This is chopped a, and screwed, boy. This is the nightclub chopped and screwed episode. Bass rattles stars out the sky. <laughs> I'm Frankensteining this shit up so everyone can be included, but we're going to pick back up where we had just left off in the story. Before heading back to the mill, Dr. Fierro, we never figured out how we Ferrero. wanted to, Yeah, Ferrero, warns the rebels that they might be fighting a lost cause. Taking on Captain Vidal will only result in death or another tyrant taking his place, and without food or medicine, they are vulnerable. Mercedes hopes he is wrong. Meanwhile, the captain is performing his shaving ritual yet again, but eerily mimics slitting his own throat in the mirror. In Mercedes' room, Ophelia bathes the mandrake root in milk, and it springs to life resembling a sweet newborn child. After placing the mandrake under her mother's bed, she gives it the blood it requires. Just then, explosions in the forest send the captain and his men to investigate. Ophelia lays with her sick mother and begs her brother in the womb not to kill their mother, and promises to make him a prince in her kingdom. The explosion was the rebels unleashing their handiwork by blowing up railroad tracks and derailing a supply train. As another storm covers the forest in blankets of rain, the captain and his officers engage the rebel forces in all-out gunfire. Pinned behind trees and under heavy fire, the fearless Captain Vidal tells his fearful men not to be afraid, that dying in war is the only decent way to die. He checks his pocket watch and proceeds toward the rebels in a hail of bullets. Shortly thereafter, the rebels are extinguished, and those lying wounded are executed ruthlessly, all but one. So you've got your two fucking traitors... Traitors to the captain. Yeah. El Capitan. There hasn't been a running gag of us supporting the captain, by the way. I'm just making this up now. Because I'm realizing now, all along, that's that's the stance we should have been taking for fucking comedic effect. <laughs> El Capitan? Yeah, dude. Supporting him? Yeah, like, he's got these two fucking traitors. The doctor's scared now, like, I don't think we'll be able to do this. And Mercedes' brother is there, and I don't know, they seem... That's kit- the Stutter King... Well, he's well. No, no, no. He's not her brother, but he he's the one that gets. Yeah, he gets captured. Well, fuck it. We'll just keep rolling through it. There's not a lot to say about about any of that shit. Um, Merce- I thought I thought the gunfight was pretty intense. I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, and and I mean, you know, fuck him as a person, but but that is one he's quality. He's a badass dude. He he is he is the 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 walk behind the talk. He yeah. he, he will go in. He don't cower behind his people. He is right. the first one. He's a leader. Up. He's a natural leader. And he's not afraid to die. He's the Spanish juggernaut. <laughs> I like that. Again, lawful evil. Mercedes rushes to the storeroom where the lone surviving rebel is being held. Someone she knows very well. That evening, a supper is being prepared. Mercedes stows a knife in her apron. Back in the storeroom, after offering the captive a cigarette... Captain Vidal lays out a few tools to help the hostage talk. The rebel has a pronounced stutter that, coupled with his injuries and fear, is making it near impossible to speak. The captain shows him a hammer and tells him he will slowly open up once the captain uses this tool a bit. Then, wielding a pair of pliers, Vidal says they will have developed a sort of bond with each other. And Angel's leaving the building. Do you want me to pause it? And yeah, she has in fact left the building. Um, kids were starting to stir, so damn. That's, <laughs> we tried to get her in. We what, tried to have a full, can you do? a full coven episode, but well, fuck it. All right. And finally, 
producing a long, thin blade. The captain claims he will believe anything the man tells him once he's done using this tool. The Dao then makes a deal with the stutterer, saying if the scared man can count to three, he will let him go free, unharmed. The man spits out the number one, then the number two, and tries for three, but ultimately fails. This, that, that scene right there, man, I remember, I remember it being in the theater and just hoping to God, knowing that it ain't gonna happen. Right, of course not. But I'm like, please, dude. Please. Just be able to And you know what, man? Yeah, I guess he would, I guess there's a chance he'd stay true to his word, but there's also a chance he wouldn't have either. You know, he might have just been fucking with that dude. I think. Well, I think he knew the guy wouldn't even be able to fucking do it. But yeah, right. I don't know if he'd have let him go either. That'd be too. Even though, even though he 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 does seem honor bound in certain ways. Right. He also is a. I would imagine a pragmatist. Right. You're not gonna just fucking let this dude run away with secrets. Right. Later that evening, the fawn approaches a sleeping Ophelia, pleased that she has no doubt succeeded in her mission, but she comes clean and says there was an accident opening the fairy box to reveal only one fairy left. This fairy immediately whispers into the fawn's ear, and his anger grows. The fawn yells at her, telling her that she can never return. The full moon is in three days, and now she will age like a mortal, die like a mortal, and her memory will fade in time. Fucking brutal, dude. Mm-hmm. Dude, that, that goddamn fairy right. a- a- immediately rats her out. Oh, yeah. What well, the I mean, it's, it's fairy friends are dead now. Yeah, I know. And they were trying to tell her. I know. Don't eat the grape. Better yeah. not eat that grape. Dude. She was swatting them away. <laughs> she was. But that, that, that goes towards some, something we're going to talk about a little bit later with the Pale Man and his, his magics. Uh, as the rainstorm continues early into the morning, the Dow calls for the doctor to see about the hostage. And while the captain leaves him for a moment after snagging a medicine bottle from the doctor's bag, the doctor shows mercy to his severely hurt <laughs> comrade and injects a lethal, a lethal dose of some kind of agent, killing the man. Vidal had he had left to compare the antibiotic vial that he found at the campsite earlier with the doctor's own vials. And before returning to the storeroom, he checks on Carmen and finds Ophelia under the bed with a foul-smelling mandrake root. Carmen begs the captain to leave Ophelia alone, and she takes the route to the fireplace. She tries to explain that the real world isn't like Ophelia's fairy tales as the mandrake screams in the flames, and Carmen topples over in pain. So that right there is sort of another like little tiny bit of evidence, maybe, that... Because we were saying you could, you could look at this one of two ways. Either it's just the real world and she's imagining shit, or there's the real world and then there's the... the underground realm world where shit is fucking really popping off yeah but it doesn't it doesn't do it all the time it it doesn't no you know so it, it's that's that's why i think it's a really fucking great like right you don't you don't get the answer spoon fed to you for sure no fuck no i almost feel like maybe it's another reality stacked on top of our reality mm-hmm. in the story back in the storeroom the captain confronts the doctor about his mercy killing and his blatant disobedience didn't obey Capitan. Didn't obey. Ferrero, Ferrario, that fucking name we can't say, says that he cannot so easily or willingly, blindly obey without questioning, just for the sake of obeying like the captain does. With this last jab, the doctor hastily exits the room and walks out into the rain, followed swiftly by the captain. 
The doctor doesn't make it far before Vidal shoots him in the back, killing him. The very next moment, precisely when the doctor is most needed, Carmen has gone into labor as midwives scramble to deliver the baby. And after some time, a boy is born, but Carmen dies during childbirth. The soldiers and workers at the mill hold a small ceremony and a burial, and that very same night, Ophelia packs up her books and a few elixirs left at her departed mother's bedside. I call that the bloody towel and bed sheet scene. They're just, everyone's just running around with bloody towels and bed sheets. <laughs> <laughs> this lady done fucking... It's, it kind of reminds me of the scene from Walk Hard where the, do- the nurse is like, we need more towels. No, no, we need more blankets. <laughs> he needs less blankets. It makes me think of that. Dude. <laughs> the doctor told Vidal earlier, too, like, she shouldn't have traveled, homie. Right. You done fucked up. Now she's dead. You ain't got no mother to take care of her. And Vidal also tells the doctor, <clears throat> not at this point, but earlier, that if he has to make a choice to save the baby. Yeah. Instead did. of uh, the mother. Mm-hmm. He wants so, that He wants that legacy. He wants, you know, dude doesn't even know it's a boy, for sure. While Mercedes is helping tend to the newborn, Vidal conducts a mild interrogation and tells her the stuttering man mentioned between the screams, an informer at the mill. The captain offers her a drink, which she takes but does not imbibe, and he asks her if she thinks he is a monster. She says it doesn't matter what someone like her thinks, her back stiffened with fear of possibly being found out. Vidal downs his own shot and orders her to go to the storeroom and bring him some more liquor. As Mercedes goes to leave, he asks her if she's forgetting anything. From his desk drawer, he produces the key. I do have the only copy, don't I? She assures him that he does, but something has been puzzling the captain. When the storeroom was raided, the lock wasn't broken. Basically, his way of saying he is watching carefully. Mercedes gathers up some of her secret belongings and goes to tell Ophelia that she's leaving that night. The girl's grief-stricken, and she begs her to go along, and eventually Mercedes agrees. The two make their getaway in the dark, in the rain, but they are quickly tracked down by Vidal and his men. Now prisoners of the captain back at the mill, Vidal slaps Ophelia around a little bit. (laughs) He tells his men to kill her first, should anyone try to break in or out. Over in the storeroom, Mercedes is tied to the same support beam the stutterer was tied to. Vidal intends to torture the woman, and he begins to go through his tool talking points from before. But Mercedes is up to something, shifting her hands back and forth together in her bondages. As the captain continues his diatribe with his back turned, Mercedes stabs him in the shoulder with the knife she had lifted from the kitchen. Vidal's in utter disbelief, and he turns around and he's stabbed again, piercing just above his heart through his chest. He falls to his knees. She shoves the blade in his mouth, pressing it up against the inside of his cheek, and threatens him not to harm Ophelia. He wouldn't be the first pig that she had to gut. The knife broke through his cheek, slicing right through his face, and Mercedes makes a run for freedom. Vidal storms out of the storeroom holding his face, telling his soldiers to get her. Covered in his own blood, his men are baffled as to what is transpiring. Vidal reveals his face with a half-rictus grin, the slash extending past the edge of his lips, and angrily yells for them to bring her back. This fucking scene is amazing, dude. Yes. That's why Mercedes is my favorite character. (laughs) She fucking stands up to the captain, dude. Only problem is she didn't kill him. Which, which... Why not? 
I don't know. You've already got him in he, maimed. <laughs> like he basically. he's he's on the floor in front of you basically. Right. You could you could have just stabbed him in the neck and then in the head. Maybe a lot. she just lost her nerve. I don't oh, know. Fuck, man. That you is know, that is a that is a weird little She talks she talks about how she sees herself as cowardly and whatnot, so maybe she just kinda lost her nerve. She didn't think she was capable of, you know, directly killing him. Maybe she only saw herself as, you know, subconsciously capable of indirectly killing him. But man, you got Like stabbing him and leaving him for dead instead of finishing the job. Though, if you could fucking kill this guy, I mean, I guess she's wounding his pride. Right. But if you could just end this dude, you've you've helped your your rebel cause. Tremendously. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking stupid traitor. The fascist forces (laughs) hunt down Mercedes on horseback as she flees deeper into the woods. The men surround her and she pulls her blade ready to fight to the death or even take her own life rather than face Vidal again. Her escape attempt is the catalyst for the rebels to make their way toward the mill, saving Mercedes by shooting down the mounted officers. That night, the fairy returns to Ophelia, and so does the fawn. He comforts her and asks her to promise to do as he commands, to obey him. It's her last chance. She must fetch her brother and bring him to the labyrinth, no questions asked. Ophelia says the door to the captain's quarters are locked, so the fawn gives her a piece of chalk. I like that. I like that that little, like, he, he's like, well, then make your own doorway. Right. I like that, too. Like we mentioned earlier, it's another suggestion, because if he didn't really give it to her, where did she get it from? How'd she get the fuck in? in? Well, yeah, that's the thing. He, he hands her the chalk, and we're going to see here in a minute, the chalk is discovered by another character. Right. So, and she got into the room. In the captain's quarters, Vidal is stitching his face back together, the pain causing him to profusely sweat. As he performs self-surgery, Ophelia has snuck into the room. Vidal places a bandage over his cheek and pours a glass of whiskey, quickly downing it, alcohol and blood flooding through his bandage as he winces. He pours himself another drink, but notices a stick of chalk on his desk. A soldier enters and says one of his men has returned wounded, and so they leave to find out what exactly happened. Ophelia takes this opportunity to use the elixir from her mother's bedside, and she spikes the captain's drink with it. In the dining room, the injured soldier says that there were maybe 50 men that attacked them. The captain is also informed that their watch post has not been responding, and they have as few as 20 men. It's like everything is turning around on this guy. Yeah, Mercedes done fucked him up. Wounded him, wounded his pride, ma- mangled his face. Yep. Ophelia's in there to snatch up the baby. Now you got the all the odds are stacked against this dude. Right. His 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 whole world is coming down around him, basically. <laughs> you know. Ophelia takes her brother just as the captain re-enters his room and takes his second drink of whiskey. Explosions are now going off directly outside, and the captain spots Ophelia holding tight to her chest, her baby brother the captain's son. As Vidal tries to walk towards her, he stumbles, caught by a great dizzy spell. Ophelia flees the mill with her brother, and the captain, with his gun drawn, gives chase and follows her to the labyrinth of the fawn. Ophelia knows the way to the center well, but Vidal, short of breath and heavily drugged, gets lost along the way. Several walls open up for Ophelia as she makes her way to the center and close behind before Vidal can get to her. At the top of the staircase in the center of the labyrinth, the final task is to be performed. The fawn asks for the infant and says the moon is full, 
now as their last chance to open the portal and return Ophelia, Princess Moana, to her home in the underground realm. Ophelia asks why the fawn has the pale man's dagger, and he says the portal will only open with the blood of the innocent. He will only take a drop, but Ophelia refuses to hand over her baby brother, and the fawn angrily asks if she would give up her sacred right for this baby, if she would give up her throne for a child she barely knows that has caused her only pain and humiliation. Ophelia says yes, unwilling to harm her baby brother, and so the fawn vanishes, and from behind Vidal approaches, takes her brother, and shoots her in the chest. Ophelia collapses to the ground. So th this, this in, a, in a, a sort of way, is like the climax of a lot of different things happening. Right. Um, the rebels are finally invading the mill. Um, Ophelia is going to complete her task, but she uh, refuses to hand over her brother. Right. Won't spill the blood of, of that innocent baby. And then she gets, for, you know, for all her trouble, she gets shot. And she's now, we're, we're, we're kind of back where we were at the beginning. Uh, the image of, of her laying there, blood stains her her own blood staining her hands, blood running down her face, while she's like kind of <laughs> right, like those little death gasps. The, 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 this is this is part of it. This like it's a it's a gut punch. Yeah, I also want to say because I forgot to say it last scene. Imagine drinking whiskey with your cheeks split open, mm -hmm. dude. This this movie has a lot of scenes that like when 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 the doctor goes to amputate the guy's leg, yeah. the way they shoot it, it just barely shows the saw moving a little bit against the skin. Yeah. But there's a sound and the cutaway makes it more effective than if you actually would have even seen the goddamn thing happen. Right. It's fucking it's it's gross. And that what you're saying, they show the 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 alcohol and blood just spurt spurt yeah. Up through the bandages and his his face is like, fuck. Yeah, like, you can tell it hurts. Yeah, you know, like like Jesus. But, but what else are you gonna do? He's a tough son of a bitch, bro. Cause drugged up, stabbed, in a lot of pain, he and still goes over there and shoots that little girl. He shoots. <laughs> you know. God damn, man. Stumbles through a labyrinth to go shoot this little girl and take that baby back. Oh. He's one of those villains you love to hate. Oh, fuck yeah. Yeah. You know. Vidal sucks, but he's awesome. And as he exits the labyrinth, it's clear to him that he will face his death. The entire rebel army has sacked the mill, set it on fire, and wiped out every last one of Vidal's men. The captain accepts his fate and gives his child to Mercedes. The prideful tyrant pulls out his pocket watch, checks the time of his death, and says, Tell my son the time his father died. Tell him that I... Before being cut off by Mercedes. No. He won't even know your name. With that being said, Mercedes' brother shoots Vidal point blank in the face. The dying man reaches up to fill the bullet hole as his eye begins to dip. And he too, like Ophelia, collapses to the ground. So he's finally fucking taken out. And it happens. Like that? Yeah, so fast. One of my favorite scenes. And again, talking about him being a badass, the dude's trying to actually feel the wound. He's like right. reaching up towards it, like, whoa, shit. Like, is that for real? <laughs> <laughs> Almost like... Did that just happen? Damn, man. This is going to sound fucked up, yeah. but I almost feel a little bad for him. Not, and not, not... <sighs> that's why I said it's going to sound fucked up. He is a horrible person. 
Right. Straight up. There's no redeeming quality about the guy. But the fact that he did care about having a kid mm-hmm. on some level, even though it's completely it's completely prideful. Never mind. I don't feel bad for him. I guess just seeing him get shot yeah. in the face, his, I'm like, damn. His son would be nothing but an extension of himself in his eyes. You know? Yeah. And, even if he didn't realize it. And he would learn That's it. all his son would... And his son would learn yeah. how to be like him. It's a good thing he got shot in the face. You know, like, <laughs> like we talked about this the other day, like, everyone was a baby at one point. And at some point, somebody <laughs> just really fucked up when they were raising Vidal. Baby Capitan. Baby Capitan. <laughs> <laughs> Mio. Mio Capitan. Uh... Deep in the labyrinth, Mercedes and the rebels surround Ophelia as she breathes her dying breaths. Mercedes hums a familiar lullaby for Ophelia, and the portal opens. She stands up, now wearing a red dress and ruby shoes, in awe before a grand golden throne room. Her father and mother perched on towers and high chairs, with hers empty next to them. The king of the underground realm says that she spilled her own blood instead of the innocent. The fawn and the fairies emerge, and the throne room erupts in applause. Her mother, the queen, holding a newborn, tells Ophelia to take her place at their side. As all this is going on, we cut back to uh, the quote-unquote real world, and she takes her last breaths, and uh, Mercedes lets out a wail. While the movie's closing up, uh, we, we get told that it is said the princess returned to her father's kingdom that she reigned there with justice and a kind heart for many centuries, that she was loved by her people, and that she left behind small traces of her time on earth, visible to only those who know where to look. Fucking fantastic ending. Yeah. And fantastic movie. I wish I... Oh fuck, I should have asked Angel what her rating of it was before she, she left. I didn't think about it. But, I mean, before we dive into anything, I'll just give my rating now. This this is, for me, it's it's a 10. Yeah, me as well. well I, 10 out of 10. When I, when I got my friends to go watch this in the theater, I had a feeling it was going to be special. The previews looked really good, and... I knew uh, Del Toro was was a a, a very imaginative filmmaker. Uh, I didn't expect this level of of amazingness. It's so layered. Right. So much going on. So much to look into. I mean, there's shit that we're not even going to talk about because I I did a lot of research for it. But some things I don't I don't feel necessary to bring up mainly because I don't see them in the film. I can see that other people see certain uh, perspectives. I have mine on what's happening and I don't even just mean the I'm talking about what could be allegorical what what right. could be this is a metaphor for you know blah 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 like like the feast in the um the 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 pale man's lair talking about the Spanish civil war in the 40s and what was going on with them how they were fucking there was famine and this that and the other they got people that make those comparisons they they compare the pale man's lair to the dining room of captain vidal both have these long tables with a fireplace directly seated behind the monster in the room, almost oh, like wow. they're a demon emerging from hell. Nice. Uh, I, hadn't, I hadn't made that connection. 
I hadn't either. I, this is some stuff I read that I'm like, wow, cool. I, I don't know if I would have necessarily made that. Like that I can see, and I like that parallel. Now that I know about it, I totally get it. Yeah. The, the monster is a... Uh, he is, the, the Pale Man is Captain Vidal in Ophelia's uh, fairy tale world. I mean, right. it, that is who he is. That it's They're both greedy, hungry fucking things. So I would give this, I don't know, ten what? Ten, uh, ten eyeballs, or ten grapes. Ten grapes out of ten? Uh, ten half-eaten fairies. Dude, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> I was trying to come up with a word for half-eaten. <laughs> I, I almost wanted to say ten decapitated fairies, but yeah. Yeah, ten half-eaten fairies out of ten, which I guess would technically be five fairies. Five fairies, right. <laughs> <laughs> this ain't a fucking average movie, alright? This is a goddamn masterpiece. Yes, definitely. You go ten as well? Yeah. It's crazy, right? It, it is. You know, I hadn't heard about the movie, but my mom and one of her friends went watch it in theaters, and they didn't know what to expect. But they were not expecting what they got. <laughs> and my mom absolutely hates the movie. Really? <laughs> yeah. Aww. She's like, oh, it's depressing, and it's disturbing, and it's... She's like, I hate I hate the captain, you know? And well, I'm like, sure. I'm like, you know, I mean, I, I get it. It's, you know, it's not for her. She she was, like, uh, talking about how much she hated it, and she stops, and she's like, you probably like it. <laughs> so, Mama knows her boy. So that's what, that's what made me actually watch it, go find it, and check it out. A few things I wanted to say about the Pale Man, because it, 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 uh, he's the ogre in the movie, and this all ties into that, you know, the, the creature featured I'm doing on the episode. Some of the unknown quantities of this, this being... I had mentioned in the story, its layer is separate from time and space, or at least the reality of Ophelia's, you know, real world Spain. It's right. it's, it's, it's like another plane. Yeah, like a demi plane almost. And what is this layer in? Because it seemingly has no exits or entrances. She has to create one. Right. So does it? Does it know how to get out? Can it get out on its own? The murals of it depicted, depicted killing kids yeah. in other places. It's not right. in his lair in those murals. And you you also have to imagine he painted those. Who else is going to go paint those for him? Oh, I don't know. So he's an artist too. For real, like he's he's going to commission someone to come in here and paint these murals. <laughs> Even if he magically made them appear, he had the image in his head of how to maybe, do it. Maybe he had been haunting a village for a while. <laughs> And the people painted these paintings of him come and get their little kids. Oh, so he took them? And, 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 he, and he found them, and he was like, oh, well, it God looks damn. just like me, I like it. So the Pale Man's also a picker. <laughs> he goes around getting fucking weird. <laughs> oh, this is just, this is just lovely. Some folk art. <laughs> How quaint, this will look wonderful on the wall next to the pile of shoes. <laughs> he keeps trophies too, man. Yeah. He's fucked up, dude. He's fucked up. And that's, that's the other thing about him. His powers, we, we, we don't know what he's really capable of because we only see him in this one isolated scene in the film. Right. He, he doesn't very show brief. up. Very brief. But, but probably one of, the, one of the most memorable things in the movie. Absolutely. Um, it, Everyone was drawing eyeballs on their hands and doing the thing for a while. Fuck yeah, man. Even Isaac Brock from Modest Mouse was doing yeah. that shit. It, it's sleeping in there. The, the fawn tells Ophelia that it slumbers, so right. so it goes dormant. Something about, and this is my love of cosmic horror tying into this thing because this thing to me is sort of a no, it's cosmic entity. I would, I would put it up there for sure with cosmic horror. If if anyone him specifically, 
Yeah, him specifically. And, and, and if anyone by now has been listening to the show from the beginning, I think I tie cosmic horror into a lot of things that it might I not. Do. I do too. But I just want it to be everywhere. Because of the themes. I love it. But the themes are there if you dig deep enough. Yeah. So this thing, is it goes dormant. And something about an ancient thing that is waiting freaks me out. It's yeah. like, because you, cause you, like I said, unknown quantities. You don't know what it's capable of. And it's clearly magic. Fear of the unknown, man. Because it's, it's, it's sleeping for who knows how long, centuries, eons. Right. And, and then it wakes up whenever you break the rule and you eat its food. Its food, presumably, just like you're not having contractors come in and, you know, model up his lair and artists painting his murals. You don't have people coming in and catering his, his feast. Right, right. He is creating this feast magically and keeping it from spoiling with his magic while he sleeps. Right. What the fuck is this thing? <laughs> Del Toro has said it's a reinterpretation of an ogre, and commonly ogres are fucking eating kids and stuff in stories, so that's that's where the ogre thing comes in, but it's different than any other ogre in, in folklore or, or mythology, and, and, and it's... In, like I said, our limited knowledge of, of what it is. Right. And since it doesn't break the rule, and I know you've been waiting to get to this, um, it doesn't break its own rules. If you go in and you don't touch its food, I mean, you saw she walked right up to the thing and it never moved. It never came awake. So she even, she even picked up the plate with his eyeballs and he was like, no big deal. No big deal, I'm bitch. still asleep. But the moment she put that grape in her mouth, that motherfucker sprang to life and he was, <laughs> he was hungry. Cracking. Fingers cracking. He was crickety. Yeah. Crickety pale picker. <laughs> <laughs> Crickety pale picker. And dude, I like that for an episode name too. <laughs> we just we're gonna have all the names. <laughs> Crickety pale picker, chopped and screwed edition. <laughs> <laughs> featuring Arj. <laughs> that's, that's the one. Featuring Arj. <laughs> that's the one. Mashed potato Johnson. Mashed potato Johnson. <laughs> but so so the the creature itself, the pale man, is a lawful evil. I'm, I'm saying it's evil. I mean, when you talk cosmic horror, you transcend things like evil. A lot of morality. Yeah. Know? I mean, this thing... A lot, a lot of the cosmic horror entities from, like, Lovecraft are mindless. Yeah. You know, like, they're all-powerful and mindless. They're insects. You know? They don't, they don't, they don't, they don't work on any kind of... Mora- moral scale. No. There's they no, just do. It's like fucking, um... They just do what they do. Brindle from the fly. Yeah. Insect politics... Insects don't have politics. They're just instincts. Yeah. So this thing, its instinct is, I gotta eat. But I have a feeling it's intelligent. What, based on everything around it, right. sure. Right, Because, you know, like you said, he's not commissioning, he's not catering, <laughs> he's not doing none of that. No, but he might... He, he wakes up once an eon and tidies up around or whatever. And uh... He's a hobbyist besides being a fucking bloodthirsty demon. <laughs> But uh, who who else is fucking lawful evil in this story? His counterpart. Captain Vidal is the definitely lawful evil. Yeah, he's all about fucking obedience. Yep. Um, the fawn is even throwing obedience at Ophelia, but that she has to overcome that. So the movie's... And there's rebels, freedom fighters in the woods, fighting the fascist regime. Right. The movie seems to have a theme Very, of, very... Uh, not anarchist, but, you know... Uh, fight, fight the fucking fight, power, fight man. The power. Rage yeah. against the machine. Right. Fucking A. Very much has that, That's that happening. going on in there. It's happening right now. Yes, it is. Pan's Labyrinth is sort of a timely movie, and I think uh, the creature like an ogre is also sort of timely when it comes to uh, greed 
That's something else about the pill man. If only we throw an orange wig on him. We well, could. <laughs> <laughs> something else about the pill man that um, I haven't seen this written anywhere, and I did a lot of research, but this is my own little thing I pulled from it. The expression, your eyes are bigger than your stomach, mm-hmm. is usually associated with you being greedy. Right. Because you didn't need everything you took. You just wanted it. Well, its eyes are in its hands, and what do our hands do? They grasp, they reach, they take. So this thing is looking with its hands. It's like it's 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 the epitome of fucking greed, and and to the right. point to where it's going to eat innocent life to sustain itself. Right. I just thought that was like neat. If, if Del Toro thought thought that through, like that the eyes are in the hands, and it, that right that that That's is interesting. That's an interesting thought. I still say Ophelia should have like put the eyeballs in her pocket and then took some grapes and put the grapes in his plate. Oh, that yeah, I agree. But Angel said something even better. <laughs> <laughs> she said she would have ate the eyeballs off the plate so that way the thing couldn't have had eyes no matter what. <laughs> I still would want to see him put grapes in his hands, though. Oh, she, no, she would put the grapes on the plate. Yeah. But yeah, he would just be walking around like not. he's just seeing fruits. Like, what do you do with that? Those that those big nostrils better work. He'd be stumbling around. Something else too. Um, people say that the scream of the pale man sounds sort of like children in agony. Huh. Uh, I didn't. I don't really catch that. But also, I guess I haven't listened to it screaming over and over again. That's not what I'm. I'm, I'm not about that. I like. Right. I love that scene, and I love the, that creature as as a as a thing. It was fun doing doing research for it too. Like to see just what other people thought about it and stuff right. like that. I encourage anyone who likes the movie and is, you know, just charmed by this <laughs> pale, <laughs> saggy-ass motherfucker. Go, go, go read he, about him. He definitely steals the show in a way. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, like you said, he's one of the most memorable scenes of the movie. Oh, yeah. You know? Him and the captain, dude. Yeah. Some lawful evil fucks in Del Toro's Twisted World. What a great dark fairy tale. I like I like Mercedes a lot. She's my favorite character. Aside from the captain, who I love to hate. As far as characters I love to love, Mercedes is the epitome. I'm mad at her now that I realize she had a chance to... And I don't know why I never really thought about it before, but yeah. She's kind of fucked up not Every time I watch it, that's what I think, man. Is I don't get you. I like what you did, though. <laughs> God, she should have gutted him. She said, it's not the first pig I've had to gut. Well, get get to gutting, bitch. Yeah. Fucking kill this asshole. I bet when she was on her knees crying over Ophelia's corpse, she was thinking to herself, I should have just killed him when I had the chance. Probably so. Damn. And, 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 the, and the world would have been better for it. Imagine the fawn was playing playing them the whole time, and like he wanted Ophelia's blood, and that fucking lets the pale man out of the box. He's fucking stumbling around on them skinny little legs, just <laughs> eating everybody and shit. <laughs> Picking up pottery and stuff along the way to bring back to his lair. Oh, <laughs> right. oh, I like this piece. This is real. This is this is good. Just dragging a big old bag of like art <laughs> behind him. Just a big sack. I can't wait to do my arts and crafts back at the lair. <laughs> they show him before he goes to sleep. He's painting some minis and stuff mm-hmm. <laughs> for his Knit- role playing game. Knitting himself a sweater. Just <laughs> all about hobbies. He's just a hobbyist. Oh shit! The pale man in a sweater. Knitting himself a little, a little, a little hat, to keep his head warm in the winter. What if he needed glasses, man? How would that work? <laughs> <laughs> just... He would have to just have like one lens, 
and like have a strap over it on the hand. Oh like my that. god! If oh, speaking of apocalypses, uh, Burgess Meredith in Twilight Zone, he he's like the last man on Earth, and he loves to read. Yeah. So he's so happy he's my about favorite. it. Yeah, and yeah. He, the very end. I mean, spoilers if you haven't seen this shit from the '60s. But this dude, he's the last guy on Earth, and he's like, "I'm gonna read all the books. I have all the time now that I can read all the books. I'm, I'm fucking getting to it right now." And then he he goes to read his first book, and his glasses slip off his face and break, and he's just losing his goddamn mind. And I'm like, "Bro, go anywhere and get more glasses. Like, there's right. just glasses everywhere. <laughs> there's gotta be. You could go to any dollar store." You don't need the name brand lens. Just find the one that works for your eyes and fucking start reading. Maybe it was different back then. Maybe you couldn't just get them like like we can today. But there, but then there's still go check some corpses out. Were there yeah, other people? Yeah, were there dead bodies lying around? That's true. I don't remember that part of the. I don't think they showed them because I don't think they'd have been able to really get away with that back then. But I mean, you've got to assume there's dead bodies everywhere. The world's ended. <laughs> you know. Okay. We're we're fucking we're going off Pell Man in the Apocalypse in a sweater on the chopped and screwed edition. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to tie it all back up together. Um I wanna thank my wife for being on this briefly. Um thank you for coming to record with me. I hope we get to do this again really soon and for everyone out there listening, you're not gonna have to wait two more months for the next episode because the next episode is already recorded. All I gotta do is edit the bitch. So episode nineteen is uh right around the corner. I've been Travis Maxwell Boone. I've been Ricky Prejean. Almost for a second, I almost thought you were going to say, I've been Ricky Boone. (laughs) (laughs) My my brain is stupid, dude. I've been Ricky Boone Prejean. (laughs) Embrace the darkness. But embrace the what? I thought about saying embrace the grapes. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds sexual. I like it. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Embrace the grapes. Stay spooky. And stay sexy, bitches.
going to be the first thing I hear when I go to edit this episode is my lighter <laughs> falling out my pockets. <laughs> I was thinking that. Uh.